Hello, everyone. My name is Hannah White, and I am the host of 1801 Live. And my name is Lyric Swinson, and I am the host of the Patchwork Feminist. Together, we partnered in order to host a 24-hour podcast-a-thon to raise money for the COVID-19 Relief Fund. While we were raising money for our fellow Gamecocks, we had help from a lot of special guests to help us raise $3,575.22. Guests included WLTX news anchor Darcy Strickland, Mayor of Columbia Steve Benjamin, Gamecock women's basketball head coach Don Staley, former Gamecock football quarterback Perry Orff, former USC student body president Joteka Eady, Incoming USC Provost Dr. William Tate, Student Body President Izzy Rushton, some of our very own University Ambassadors, Associate Vice President of Student Life Dr. Anna Edwards, current Speaker of the Student Senate J.D. Jacobus, and Student Body Treasurer Caden Askew, USC President Bob Castlin, Vice President of Student Affairs Dr. Dennis Pruitt, SC Political Strategist and Gamecock Alumni. Corey Alpert, Lauren Harper, and Taylor Wright, in addition to the Helensky family, including Kim, Mark, and Ryan, representing the Helensky's Hope Foundation, as well as Shannon Henry, Jordan Dinsmore, and Olivia Hastler, representing SASCO, and several domestic violence prevention initiatives. You can listen to us talk to a bunch of these guests uh, via the Patchwork Feminist, or 1801 Live, which is available on all platforms, including Apple, Google Playlist, and Spotify. Thank you so much to Garnet Media Group for making all of this possible, and enjoy listening to what was 24 hours of a lot of fun, a lot of information, and a lot of service to our fellow Gamecocks, forever to be. Go Gamecocks. In South Carolina, y'all. Right, Saturdays are for the boys. So, you know, this is a great time. How are y'all? It's early. Listen, y'all are the boys, too. We're all the boys here today. So, we're all the time. All right. How are y'all? It's early. It's early. I've been up for a little bit, so it's not that early, but we're about two cups of coffee deep working on a third. So, I'll be good here in about 25 minutes. I, I do not drink coffee. Um, I don't like the taste. So we're on a we're on a cup of milk right now, but it'll it'll wake me up. So I've been using your method, JD, of water. So I'm like a thick bottle of water, and I mean I just cannot do. I just tell myself I can't do coffee because I'm going to crash. And so I'm doing good right now. I had a it was a low. It was around four a.m. I didn't know if I was gonna make it. I was like, I might just have to. <laughs> I don't know. Figure something out. A statement. I don't know. But we've made it past the 4 a.m. mark, and we're going strong. The thing with coffee is that you have to keep drinking because if you stop, you're going to crash. Like, oh. Yeah. But for anyone who doesn't already know, 
I, I feel weird like letting them introduce themselves. I'm like, everyone knows them. But if you guys could please introduce yourself to the people. Caden, if you want to go ahead first. Um, my name is Caden Askew. I'm the newly elected student body treasurer. Um, I'm a Carolina finance scholar. I'm involved in the Moore School. Um, and then I'm in a social fraternity, Phi Sigma Kappa. Um, and I'm a sophomore. I forgot that part. My name is J.D. Jacobus. I'm a junior. I'm the newly elected speaker of the Student Senate. I'm from Clover, South Carolina, um, and I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> okay, I'm trying. I'm trying. So this one's going to be fun, guys. I mean, they've been on 1801 Live, and I know they talk in different things. Yes? I have a question really quickly while you randomly generate questions. I have a question for Caden, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, I have a question for J.D. too, but I'll ask my question for Caden first. Um, I, you are an aspiring podcaster, which I don't yes, know I am. people know. So, um, how is this experience? Is it living up to your expectations? You know, the whole Zoom thing is kind of throwing me off. Um, <laughs> but, but Lyric is most definitely right. I am an aspiring podcaster and I want to do one. Um, and my brother actually has the equipment. He's big into music, but this whole Zoom thing, I mean, I like it. It's, it's functional enough, but it's kind of weird. It's not how I envision podcasting. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's not the same. I miss the studio. Like, and I'm, I mean, like, eventually when y'all go back to campus, um, Hannah's going to have the distinct pleasure of being able to go back into the studio. Like, um, as a senior, I'm going to be honest, I didn't even know that that studio existed until this year. And it ended up being, like, my favorite place in the Russell House. Um, it's really cool. It looks fresh. If you've ever been in the Garnet Media Group studio, it looks fresh out of the night. It looks, like, straight out of the 90s. Um, there's old stickers everywhere. There's a room full of vinyls and old CDs and things of that nature. Like, it just looks nice and rustic and old with super high-tech new equipment. But, like, it's, like, my favorite place in the Russell House. Super cozy. Um, so, yeah, y'all are going to be able to go back to a real studio, which is going to be super cool. And that's that's what I envisioned when I was thinking about podcasting. It's like you're sitting in a cool studio and you're with the guest. <laughs> Did you hear it, too? Envision. Envision. Envision that. Envision that. It was not a campaign. It was a movement, and a movement can never die. That's right, Jamie. That's right. Preach. Preach it better than y'all them well. Look, these are the boys. Okay. <laughs> I have a quick question for JD before you get started. Yeah. yeah. Um, JD, um, at your fake inauguration, um, I talked to you about Star Wars. Um, we did talk about. We were, did we talk about Star Wars or Game of Thrones? Which one? We talked about both. Okay, cool. So I'm assuming you're both a fan of both. Yes, huge fan of both. So, Star Wars, um, what's your favorite episode? Okay, so I often I often argue with people about this. I actually think that A New Hope is honestly my favorite episode. Um, I know everyone always says The Empire Strikes Back is the best. Like Everyone always says that. Um, and then you have a lot of Revenge of the Sith fans. But I like A New Hope because I think it's like the best summary of like the hero's journey, which yeah. is like what the entire Star Wars saga is supposed to be based off of. Um, I also, I get hate for this too. Um, I actually really liked The Force Awakens. I thought it was a great movie. Um, it probably ranked as like my second favorite. So I, I thought it was a great movie. Um, so how, so let's talk. How do you feel about, I don't know if you've been watching 
um, earlier in the show, but there was a show, I showed Hamilton um, and Ryan. I'm a big nerd. Uh, I have a I have a Princess Leia poster. I have a Rise of Skywalker poster. I have a, a New Hope poster, and I have the same. Po I have the a T-shirt with the image from the poster on it. Um, I have. I have, I have a lot of Star Wars stuff. I've also been building a Star Wars Lego set. But I say all this to say, how did you feel about Rise of Skywalker? I'm not even sure what that is. I, I don't recognize that movie. That the movie does not. <laughs> all right. Um, no, seriously, I feel bad for J.J. Abrams because I feel like J.J. Abrams had so much that the, that the studio put on him to change from Ryan Johnson. And so instead of just continuing off the story Ryan Johnson told, he like tried to completely flip it around. Um, and in a weird way, I think he tried to do too much fan service. Like he tried to give us too much nostalgia. Um, I think a big issue that we see is like Ray had to be special. And so he threw in the Palpatine thing. And I think it would have been cooler if Ray had just been a regular person. Like I think that would have been a deeper story that like you don't have to be like a special bloodline to be like a savior. Like I think that, that would have been like a more powerful story. Um, I like that twist, but that part was so messy, and I felt like it was kind of thrown together. Um, I'm really, I felt like the true redemptive story should have always been Kylo Ren, and the fact that he just died after it's like, don't get me wrong, I did, I really, I, I'm, I'm a fan of the bad boys. I really did dig the Ray Kylo. I am a um, Raylo, Raylo Stan. Um, I am for always on the fan fiction archives um strongly supporting Raylo. But I yeah, I completely agree. I think that Avers got messy. I mean, but the thing is like, you know, um Carrie Fisher dying, having to like cut up some of that footage. But I also think that's on them. They no offense, they should have killed her off during the last Jedi. Because yeah. she had already I mean she had already passed away at that point. So anyway, I'm sorry. As y'all can see. I know Hannah wants to ask questions, and every time I go on my little Star Wars tangent, y'all, this is like the third time. And I mean, it's great, it's cool, <laughs> but when you get weird started, that's the whole that's the whole hour, and that's all you're gonna talk about. Well, I'm I'm the same way. So we might have to do something separate, lyric. And that's and that's okay. And you know, sometimes people can't see the vision. Maybe she can't envision that, JD. <laughs> Maybe she can't envision. Oh that. my god! I'm trying to get the people to get to know the boys better. And so I have a random generator question as well as Caden. He needs to wake up. I just, I just can feel it. And so wait, well, I have a question before I start this. Do I have to go down the order or can I choose the question? I say you should probably choose them. Okay. The only times I've done the random questions, there have been some really funky ones in there. And it's just like, yeah. like some that I just like, I felt uncomfortable asking mm -hmm. and I just like, don't do it. Yeah. So okay. definitely go down the list and choose. <laughs> Boom. So you're first. Uh, what did you learn from the last book you read? So, I'm trying to think. What was the last book I read? I haven't read a book in like a week, and I feel bad about it. Um, but I read The 48 Laws of Human Nature by, um, uh, his name escapes me. And it was like, it's not a self-help book, but it's about, it's by the same person who wrote like the laws of power and it's just about like human like trying to understand human behavior and so uh, I learned you know a lot about what motivates people to do what they do which is fascinating to me um, so you know why people lie or why people you know feel bad and things like that and just understanding how those emotions are created internally 
And then that better helps you understand the person when you're actually seeing it in front of you. So I thought that was really cool. I learned so much about Kaden's so smart. <laughs> Kaden is so smart. Like not even like of course I knew like of course finance down like that's in the bag. Um, you've already done so much like as treasurer like for three days out and you've already transformed the whole office helping the university's finances like above and beyond. But then like just talking Kaden under like regular conversations. Yeah, then this book I read, and I was reading these two books, and then this quote from this statistic, and I'm like, Kaden is a um, walking walking encyclopedia. Like, Kaden knows a lot. <laughs> but, um, JD, what does nobody want to talk about but really should? That's a really deep question. Um, hmm. I guess there's a lot of answers. There's a lot of answers for that. Um... I guess the one that like comes to me first in mind in casual conversations, something like no one ever brings up um, is just like, I guess like comfortability with others. Like I feel like a lot of times, like, especially, and I don't know, this might apply for all of us. Like I feel like we all have really outgoing personalities. And so a lot of times, like at least I expect people to like reciprocate that. Um, but I feel like basically like whenever we like first meet someone, like at least I do this, like I never like ask them like what I guess their vibe is, I would say. Um I guess another answer would be if we want to get deeper. I mean, obviously, I would say race relations in America. Um, I would say socioeconomic issues. Um, you could go off into religion. Um, but just, like, off the bat, like, just, like, casual conversation, I would say, like, we never address, like, our comfortability with, like, social interactions with someone. Hmm. I, I didn't think of about that, like that, but I can definitely see your point in that and seeing why – I mean, that is not normal for us to be like, what's your vibe right now? How comfortable are you speaking? But that could help um, a lot when it comes to relationships, how to go about talking with people, to people, and communicating. So, good answer. Good answer. Good answer. Um, I'd also like to, to talk about Kane's answer, too. Lyric, I don't know if you've read it yet, but I've started reading it, and I absolutely love it. Dune. It's like Star Wars meets Game of Thrones, like together. Like it's so oh, good. You've said nothing but a word. <laughs> you said nothing but a word. I mean, pause before we um Caden, do you have a Twitter? Um, I have one to follow people, but I don't tweet ever. Okay. Um I think I might have like two retweets, maybe. Okay. But like like Hannah and JD know this about me. I'm not a huge social media guy. If I use anything, I use Instagram, but I'm not on Facebook really. I'm not on Twitter. Like Snapchat, I Snapchat my girlfriend. That's about it. Like I, <laughs> social media is not really my vibe. We yeah. I'm, well, we have a thread on Twitter of all the guests we've had. Um, y'all are guests 41 and 42. So I'm awesome. tagging people. Um, but if you don't use your Twitter, then don't worry about it. It's fine. Well, if you tag me, I'll repost it. It'll be like my third retweet or whatever it is. Oh, yay. Okay. I. Hannah, tell me to Twitch. I'm sorry. Kaden. It's Kaden Askey. Just like my name. (laughs) Now go, Hannah. Okay. I wonder if this is weird or not. Tell me if it's weird. If you think it's too weird and too hard to think of, then I'll do another one. But what is something that you learn from simply watching a stranger? So that's that's straight back to the book, to be honest. There's a whole chapter dedicated to, like, observing people. 
Um, and I, I think the most telling thing you can learn about somebody just by watching how they walk and watching how, you know, they, they participate in whatever they're doing uh, is confidence. I think that that's like, you can tell that right off the bat, right? If their body language, if they're, you know, standing further away from the conversation, you know, it, it shows that they're less confident. If they're, um, you know, the head, the way they're walking, all of those things you can look at and, and discern a confident person from a not confident person, confident person. And I think that that's like first and foremost thing you can observe about somebody. Um, now, if we're talking about including conversation, that's a whole nother situation, but just watching somebody and how they behave probably cost us. Katie. Katie, what activity do you do where your mind wanders and thoughts the most? Um, hmm. I think there's only one answer here, JD, and I'm going to be concerned if you don't say it, because it should be the answer for all of us, I think, probably. Where my mind wanders the most? I'm honestly going to say working out. Um, yeah, I know when, when I work out, like I, I think like I the most random deepest thoughts, like I'll, I'll like give fully like, what is like my religion? Like what's my personal philosophy? Like I just completely zone out when I work out. Um, I don't, I don't know why. Like I just put in those headphones. It's like the world just stops. I was going to say the shower. That's where I do like all my deep thinking, right? Yeah. Like I, like, I, was, I will go on tangents in the shower. <laughs> now I do, I, this is going to sound really terrible. But, no, like seriously, I think I I literally get lost in thought on the toilet. Same concept, I, same concept. Yeah, I mean, like just the bathroom. It's the general. perfect place to. It's, I mean, it's literally the perfect place, like to just kind of get lost in thought sometimes. You know. Nobody's gonna think, bother you. <laughs> yeah, I think I can relate though to JD too when it comes to like just plugging in your head, especially if you're doing like the elliptical or the treadmill and you're just on go like your legs are numb and you're just you're just thinking I can see that but also the shower would probably still be my number one just because you're comfortable your body's like you're just in your thoughts you know <laughs> but okay Hayden I'm trying to see what's something that you believe you'll never be able to do well Hmm. These are so deep. <laughs> I, I know. Okay, I looked. I just looked up what y'all told me. Y'all were like random questions. I like, I'm like this could be I like fun. That. I don't mind it. Um, I think for something I'll never be able to do well. I I'm no good at music. I'll never be able to play an instrument. I'll never be able to do anything musically. It's not, I have the most appreciation for music just because I know for a fact I will never be able to do any of it. Um, so like, I love going to concerts. I'm fascinated by musicians and I listen to all different kinds of music, but I can never, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to play it. Yeah. Me too. Okay, I think, okay, Lyric's gonna disagree with me. I think that I'm musically inclined in my head. No, listen. But as far as like um, singing and playing an instrument, that's not my thing. By musically inclined, I feel like I just know talent, you know? I might not have it, but I, understand, I, I know if you have talent or not, if that makes sense. 
What's the face? You don't agree? You sit here and you lie every day. <laughs> <laughs> every day we shift further and further from my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's light. Oh and my goodness. Hannah, you really find new ways to lie every day. I think I'm right. I really do. Hannah literally has zero musical diversity. I mean, can only like even stomach like one genre and thinks that she truly knows music. I mean, sis, no. I can stomach more than one. You like you like hip hop and R and B and gospel. Oh, I like country. A lot of people don't know that. Really? Name your favorite country artist. <laughs> no, okay, you're putting me on the spot because I don't know about three. I, I can, I can give you. I, I okay, boom, Rascal Flat, shout out. Name, name what? Name Florida. No, you're you're narrowing. It's like name, name the specific. Name your favorite song that's not Life Is a Highway. <laughs> God bless the broken road. She's right. She didn't say to you. Oh. She she oh, got it. Close. No, no, it's next question. I prove my point. You, you said Rascal Flats. Who uh, Who's your two other artists? <laughs> JD. <laughs> JD. JD don't know nobody. What's something that you never seem to get tired of doing? That I never what? Seem to get tired of doing. Um, talking with y'all, my fellow executives. Um, <laughs> Betty, that was cheesy. I would say, I would say, probably reading. I could read for forever, really. Like, if I could just sit down in a room and just like have everything provided for and just read, I would. Um, it's my favorite thing by far. Um, what's your favorite book, then? This is not. A... I don't know if I can name like one favorite book. Um, I, uh, I have my bookshelf right next to me. That's what I'm looking at. Um. I really like um, the Iliad by Homer. Um, obviously, that's like an old one, but it's like it really impacted me as a child. Um, I really like um, Leaves of Grass by Walt Whitman. It's a great poetry book. If you haven't read it, I think everyone should read that. Um, a favorite of Cadence, I think, is uh, Profiles Encouraged by JFK. That's also a favorite of mine. Um, that's actually my favorite book. He actually didn't write it. Fun fact: uh, Pete Sorensen did, but he still got the, still got the Pulitzer for it. Um, yeah, um, I'd probably say those are probably my favorite books. So do you like the Odyssey, too? Yes, I actually have it right here, too. Um, I love like, it as well. Do you like the Odyssey more or less than the Iliad? I like the Iliad the most. Um, okay, I like the Odyssey more. I think the story of Achilles is so just fascinating and applicable to life. Um, I read it when I was, like, 12 because I was like, this is a book that, like, I shouldn't read at this age. Um, I really did not understand it when I first read it, and then I reread it when I was, like, 15 changed my life truly like one of those books that just like has a big impact on you so i do have a question so you said you i'm be honest you you're really you you sound like you're a different type of kid than i was because like i i, I tried i tried to read the iliad and then i said you know i'm just going to pick up percy jackson um great better. but uh I, yeah that's what i want to ask you so were you into percy jackson the heroes olympus all that type of stuff I was a huge Percy Jackson fan, like obsessed with them. Um, Wait, I, have, hold on. I have an entire series. I read them up until I was obviously like 18. Just like, even though like I like grew above the reading level, I was still just so interested in the characters. Oh yeah. I, I think um, I'm halfway through the Heroes of Olympus books. I'm still mm -hmm. like pushing for the Netflix series. I know a lot of fans. Oh, wait a minute. 
audition for a Netflix series? The collection is there. Oh, wow. And they're all hardcover and all signed by Rick Ray Orton. So, are you serious? What? I'm so serious. How? In in Austin, um, where I used to live, fun fact, um, there was a bookstore downtown, and Rick Ray Orton came because that's also, so Rick Ray Orton does a summer camp based on the Percy Jackson books outside of Austin, and so he came to, like, kick off, to open the summer camp, and he did a massive book signing, and I just brought all my books, and he signed all of them. Did you have to pay? Mm Mm-mm. Now that no, like seriously, like that—that's something to be jealous of. I, that's a bucket list thing. That's so, how old were you? Coolest, what? How I was you? I was probably like fifteen or sixteen. Um, but the coolest thing about it was that he signed all my Heroes of Olympus, all of the like all of the originals, and then also the Kane Chronicles, which I don't know if you guys read those too, but the Egyptian oh, ones. He signed all of them. It was like twenty books. How many people were in line? A lot. I waited a long time. I waited like probably two and a half hours. That's still worth it. You can sign your whole collection. Yeah, seriously. And I, I got them all like right as they were coming out. So I have all the hardcovers too. So like. Now that's one of the cool things I've heard on this um, podcast. <laughs> that's one of the cool things. Um, so I have a question for y'all, um, JD and Caden. So were y'all into James Patterson as well? Mm-mm. The only James Patterson I read was um, oh, what was it? It was like it was a it was a book about a kid lawyer. I forget what it was called. Um, I know which one you're talking about. Like so, like I know, have a theory about James Patterson, but so tell me why you don't read him before I see it. Why I don't read James Patterson? Is that what you're saying? Yes. I tried. I to be honest, just don't like the writing. Mm. It feels like I don't know. It's like same thing with and this is gonna this is gonna like really rub some people the wrong way, but I don't really like reading Harry Potter all that much. I don't like the writing. I know, I know I'm gonna get some dangerous opinions there, but um yeah, I mean I, I've read the Harry Potter books, I just I don't like the writing all that much. And same thing with James Kick him off podcast, kick him off, he's done. That's it. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, oh, all right, I'm gonna be honest, Katie. You're in timeout. Um, <laughs> I, I just can't. Um, JD, why don't you read James Patterson before I share my theories? The only one of his I read was I want to say it was like Theodore Boone or Ted Boone, I think, and they like says about like a kid lawyer, and I don't know. I just thought it was a kind of boring story, and so I never gave him another chance. But I know what's his most famous series? Um, he wrote Maximum Ride. He uh, okay. wrote. Um, like it's one of his murder mysteries. I'm I'm looking up just to make sure because he's written like a lot. Um, Alex so Cross, many books. The Alex Cross um, series. Uh, he did the Women's Murder Club, um, Witch and Wizard, uh, Private. Uh, he's done a lot. So this is why I have problems with James Patterson. So I was a huge Maximum Ride fan. Um, I read all those books. And then eventually, also, they turned that into a movie. Awful. Like, that's one of the most awful movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, they should have never done that. Like, they should feel sorry for ever putting that together. Um, That's up there with the Mortal Kombat movie for how terrible it was. Mortal Kombat movie. Yes, it was absolutely 
um, awful. Wish and Wizard, I've read that. But um, fun fact, so when I was in summer after my sophomore, no, summer after seventh grade, no, summer after eighth grade, um, I was in the creative writing program for the Governor's School for Arts and Humanities um, one summer, and I did that two summers in a row. And then I remember we would have to go around and talk about the type of books we read. Um, and like I had this teacher who would rip us to shreds about our reading taste. And she was like, some people will always say James Patterson. And then I remember they said, James Patterson isn't a real writer. And I said, oh. I said, um, you know, like 25% of fiction books that were rele are released in the year are honestly connected to James Patterson in some way. So it turns out he has a, he actually has a book factory to where like, he doesn't really write his own books mostly anymore. Like he really doesn't write his own books. He'll like kind of create a concept for it, write like a, like an idea for it and then have other people write it and do the legwork. And like ever since governor school, I was raised to believe that James Patterson isn't a real writer. Um, and so, so actually I've heard that too. And I was, uh, I've heard that like once he got big <laughs> off of like his first couple of book series, yeah. That he just kind of checked out and was just like a concept guy. And then he had like a team of writers under him that actually wrote the books. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he did write like the original one. So, so like um, yeah. they said that he wrote like the original Maxim Ride books, um, right. he, like his original, original murder mysteries and things like that. So those first couple books for sure. I'm, I'm trying to make sure that um, I got through, I'm going through them. Um, but yeah. He just kind of, I mean, and when you're making that much money, like, especially in the print industry, when everything it kind of switched to, you know, over to digital, it, but I mean, he's still making a boatload of money every year. Why not? But still. I always wondered if Stephen King's the same way. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if there's any evidence behind that, but like, and I love Stephen King, but he writes so much. Y'all, like every time I get a book, a million bar, he's a new 500 page book. He's a mad, he's a mad scientist, dude. Like he'll just sit down and like write those books in like two days, like six hundred page books. Stephen King is also slightly demented. Yeah, yeah. Because I truly, I one hundred percent believe that he's writing all those things himself, and that's a problem. That his mind <laughs> is still able, no, that his mind is still able to go to those dark places. I mean, at this age, I mean, and still consistently churn out content. And I mean, like, I, you know what? I know Hannah wants to ask questions because I was about to go on a tangent about George R.R. R. Martin, but I'm not going to do that. Hannah, go ahead and ask questions because I know, like... Yeah. No, this is what y'all want to talk about. It's just up to y'all. Only reason why I'm asking questions because they specifically asked me, Hannah, you need a random question generator. We just want to ask questions. But... Uh, I thought it would be fun just to break the ice, but I kind of like this direction, too. Yeah. yeah. So this, it's up to you. Okay. Well, so George R.R. R. Martin... Do you think he's going to finish it before he dies? Um, yes. And I think the thing that no one talks about George R. R. Martin, love him to death, don't get me wrong, is most of, like, most of his writing is just a loose adaptation of actual, like, European historical events. Like, the vast majority of, of I would say, like, the plot of the series is just based on, um, God, it was the name of, of a crusade in France. I can't think of the name of it. Um, like all the torture from it comes from that. Like, I mean, I love him to death, but like a lot of it's just like adaptation. Um, and so like, I guess like the difference between like George R. R. Martin and Stephen King is it's like George's stuff is it's like, okay, like most of that torture and like the darkness, like it happened. But Stephen King is just like, 
Stephen, what went on, buddy? Like what? Like what? What? What, what causes and what still hurts you? Yes. Um, I think one thing about so I still technically haven't. I have not read a song of ice and fire for that exact reason, just because it's not complete. And I mean, at this point in my life, I'm. I know this is gonna sound like super Gen Z of me, but I don't have the patience to wait on anything. Like if I'm going to start a new series, it needs to be already completed. So I can just go through the books. And I mean, like, you don't understand, like George is old and I'm so scared that I'm going to, right when I start a song of ice and fire, I'm going to finish that last book. And you know, yeah. So I read, I read song of ice and fire in like middle school when my mom had no idea, like the content of these books. And I was like, I was reading them on like a recommendation of some website. And so I didn't really know what I was getting into either. Like I knew the length, but I didn't know like the content was going to be as it was. Um, and I read all those books during middle school. And like, that was like a turning point for me. Like I, I became an adult through those books. Overnight. <laughs> yeah. And so like, you know, I have been patiently waiting now for more or less four, five, six years for that last book. So I'm right there with you. Like I, I shouldn't have started it without that last book because now I'm, you know, I might never get it. And then I'm just going to sit here and just, I guess, cry. Like I don't, yeah. Heavy content for a middle school team. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> I wish somebody knew, like, I wish somebody knew what I was getting into so that they could have stopped me, but it was so heavy for a middle school. <laughs> kind of intense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, are y'all into, any like so there was a time like I was an anglophile for no this is gonna be really funny I think it's kind of funny I think Hannah had I don't know if I've ever told you this story um maybe but there was a summer for some reason I developed a slight British accent um so it was really <laughs> hear me out um and this is really weird so I, I obviously I come from an all-black family I went to all-black middle elementary and high school everybody's american um so i don't i i, I can't I, I can only tell you exactly how this happened and hope that i'm not judged so there was a time where like i'm obviously pottermore just came out let their first million in online um so i'm a huge harry potter fan um, i've watched all the movies and things of that nature i started getting into doctor who and then I also started getting into Sherlock around that time. And then I discover I'm also falling in love with One Direction. Um, and so One Direction, I, I got on One Direction like a couple months before they blew up in the States. And so it's hard to find any coverage on them in the States at that point. So I was only reading British tabloids. So there was a there was a website called Sugarscape, which is basically like Teen Vogue um, for like, you know, the UK. So I was only reading Sugarscape for my pop culture news. And I only, I was started to read, I started to watch American news. I would only watch BBC America. <laughs> uh, I would only watch BBC America. Uh, I was watching BBC America everything. So I was watching British TV shows. So like, luther and things of that nature i was watching the uk x factor um so i was only list i was listening to british music um one direction ollie Murs, um i was listening to Cher lloyd so many only british artists i was like 
I, this is so weird. And I, I, I mean, I don't understand how this happened, but like, I didn't go outside like that almost that entire summer. So outside of my, my family were the only people who were speaking in American accents. And I think I was taking in more content than I was like people. So I developed a slight um, British accent over that summer because all I was hearing was British accents. And the thing was like, I started like, I don't know if I can say this on the show. I mean, I started saying like, you know, like British curse words and stuff. Like I was calling people you know, you, you bloody wanker, <laughs> or things of that nature. Um, um, yeah. Okay. Now I'm embarrassed. But. No, now I want to hear the British accent now. Like, let's let's have a few sentences. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> the good thing was, I didn't know the difference between it's a like it's a thin line between British and Australian. Mm. And so, like, it was, you're doing it right, it would come out more of a good day, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always like, like, the really, like, rough British accents, like the Liverpool accent. I don't know why, but it's like, like, yeah, like in the gangster movies, like, like, the oh movies, they're, they're so, I could just listen to those for forever. Um, I'm pretty good at accents, but we don't have to get into that, but. I don't, y'all been talking about books, and I feel like I can't relate, because I didn't really, like, I know all these authors, but I didn't really get into these series, but the one series that I did with C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know if any of y'all, yes. but that was my that was my series that started off like I loved it. Like books are better than movies, and then from there. Um, but then after that, my dad started installing me like you need to read to learn. So then I started reading books like the top ten distinctions between middle millionaires and middle class and things of that nature. But also C.S. Lewis will always have near and dear. I also. Um... I was never into Chronicles of Narnia for some reason, but I was into a series of unfortunate events. And I don't think like that series does not get the credit that it deserves. Like, I don't think I ever finished it, but like those books are absolutely incredible. Oh, they're so good. Yeah. They're a little weird. Always very. Yeah. I actually didn't know that the Chronicles of Narnia was like an entire Christian allegory until much later yeah. after I'd read them. Like I did not know that really? until after the fact. Katie, did the lion not do it for you? Yeah. That's like I'm a Christian allegory lion. 101. It's like the lion and then the lion gets like stabbed with a sword. Like that's the crucifixion. Like that's. I read it when I was like 10. So it was like, oh, okay. I was like this story. <laughs> it went way over my head. And then I think I was like 15 or 16 and I was talking about them with my dad and he was like, yeah, they're like great allegories, aren't they? And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't like, I mean, even like, I think going to Harry Potter, I didn't realize that so many of the things like the, you know, like blood prejudice was based off like racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, you know, the pure bloods and then you have the half bloods and then there's the mud bloods and things of that nature. And like the discrimination and like how it's based off of, you know, like racism and classism and like, you know, um, British and American society so I think that that was super interesting I didn't catch that then I was just like why is Draco calling Hermione a mudblood but like now I can write like a whole dissertation on it <laughs> um, but it's just so interesting looking back now like now that I'm older I'm just like oof all these underlying metaphors back, I, oh, sorry Hannah go ahead no you can go I was gonna say have y'all seen Love Island 
Oh my god, yes. Have y'all seen oh the new? God. Have y'all seen the new? I know we were talking about books. <laughs> have y'all seen the new one on Netflix though? What is it called? It's like Not Love is Blind. It's like, huh? It's like, is it called like Too Hot to Handle or something? Yes. Have y'all seen that one? Now, that one is where I'm like, okay, now this is just out of pocket. Like, what? It's like they put a whole bunch of attractive people in a house together and like they have to like force themselves to not have sex with each other. <laughs> it's the craziest like plot. Like, and you'll, win, you'll win what, $25,000? Something like that. Um, if you don't have sex with dollars yeah. but like every time you kiss or something then three thousand dollars gets subtracted and it's like but they're they're all attractive there is what you said yeah. yeah there really there's no losing it's just like how do you win right i mean it's like, like and that's no, what they have to do yes and that is the whole show so what what is better so one person's arguing like the memories we'll have these forever money doesn't last always if it's someone else is like an accountant they're like no this is money like i don't care how attractive you are you stop kissing people and <laughs> Listen, as a poor, um, I I will lock myself in a closet for the duration of that entire thing. Cause no, like I I, I can't imagine giving three three thousand dollars away for a kiss with a stranger. Yeah, they were, but that's the thing. It was so fake. Like, I mean, I don't know if people are like this or not, but how you just have to watch the show. It was over the top. Like, okay, like you're not about to die. Like. You can sit and just look. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm. This is the only show I watch along these these dangerous lines. I don't watch The Bachelor. I don't watch any of that stuff. But I do religiously watch Big Brother. I'm a super fan. Does as I JD, you're not in your head. Like Big Brother for me is like the one show that I just without fail watch. Um, and I don't know how they're going to do it this summer because. You know, obviously the coronavirus, yeah. um, but that's going to be crushing if this whole summer I don't have Big Brother. My mom is obsessed with that show, and like so are all her sisters. And so they even do what's what is it, Caden? Where it's like after dark, where they like keep yeah, maybe after the live streams, yeah. yeah. And so they'll all like Facetime till like midnight, watching it and talking about it. It's uh, it's too much, but yeah, I, so I'm a fan just by way of her always watching it. I I guess I didn't clarify. So Big Brother, for those of you that don't watch it, it's on CBS, but it's um, it's a show. All and they put like 16 people in a house, half half guys, half girls, um. And they don't, they put them in there. They're not allowed to have contact with the outside world at all. They're not allowed to interact with anything outside of the, even the producers, they aren't allowed to interact. Um, and there's cameras watching everything they do. Um, and so basically the premise is that like big brother is like the cameras watching you and like big brothers watching you. Um, and then they have competitions and stuff and they vote to evict. So it's kind of like survivor, and like one of those house shows had a baby, um, but yeah, it's it's my favorite. I love it. I watch it religiously. I've wanted to be on it since I was little. Um, That's like you, and like you want to be on Big Brother? Yeah, I do want to be on Big Brother so bad. <laughs> I'm already here first. Yeah, it's the tough part is though you have to be 21, and like I feel like you know by the time that I'm that I could actually be on it, I'd hopefully be doing, you know, bigger and better things with my summer, like internships and a job. Um, but I'd still love to go on it. I don't know. I think I'd be pretty good at it, but 
that's why I like Love Island is because it's like Big Brother, except they all have that accent where they're like, oi. Like, it's just like so it's more fierce. I'm so mad that I never got to be on Bad Girls Club. Lear, you wanted to be on Bad Girls Club. Absolutely. I absolutely. I like watching Bad Girls Club. That was just my thing. Do y'all know what Bad Girls Club is? But the thing is, like, you have to think, I was a girl. explain what Bad Girls Club is. Well, Bad Girls Club was for all the girls with the aggressive girls with the bad attitudes um, all over the world. And, like, they would have them in different cities. Um, I love it already. Like, and then, I, you know, I think they got, what, 13 seasons in? There was a Bad Girls Club all-star season. Um, and I just, like, I remember. Oh, I thought it was good. My, in high school, I started watching right around, around season nine. And I was like, oh, I love this show. I said, and I related to so many of the women on the show. And it just be like, and then the confessional would be like, my name is such and such. I'm the baddest chick in the house. Um, none of y'all can fight, et cetera. Y'all, um, <laughs> all of you. And this is like, and then it just be like, nobody's ever going to try me. Cause I, and like, I, I think that, you know, sometimes like we have like amplified versions of your, ourselves. And like, I always feel like the amplified version of myself deserve to be on Bad Girls Club. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really upset. And especially knowing like who I used to be. I used to be a hothead um, back in the day. Back in the day, long, long time ago. Uh, I would have fit in. I would fit in well. But the show entertaining. Like, Bad Girl Club was the show that I go to for like, you know, you just go to like a reality TV show. Kind of like Big Brother and, you know. And so that's just a show that you go to just to get in pure entertainment. Like, you're not mm. learning nothing from this. But it's just pure entertainment. Yeah. Now, one of my favorite things to do is during, like, during the month of February, VH1 does, like, they replay all of their love shows. So I watch all the reruns of Flavor of Love, I Love New York, and Rock of Love. Um, and I watch all, all of them, and they were all a hot mess. And they were all hot messes for different reasons. Um, and like it's my favorite thing. Like they don't make reality TV like the way that they used to. They nineties nineties reality TV was just absolutely unmatched. Do y'all remember like the OG seasons of Jersey Shore? Yes, I still yes. remember. I like it just for the pure entertainment. And like, there's a bunch of kids in my fraternity pledge class from like Jersey, Jersey that are like that. And I just like I watch it, and I'll just like literally take a snapshot of the like screen and just send it to them and be like look you're on tv like <laughs> because the t-shirt time people are like people think that like that's like a caricature but that's like how people from jersey like really are yeah that's what's funny is it's like so my dad's from jersey um and he's from like 10 minutes outside of uh new york city uh hackensack new jersey and so like i remember that show first came on he's like no that's how people like that live in the shore really are he's like this is like not a stereotype he's like this is right. really accurate Right, like that's that's the thing with a lot of these reality TVs is they find the most crazy like versions of the people they're trying to like put on the TV show. But with Jersey Shore, those are just like some regular people from the Jersey Shore. Like that's that is in line with how everybody else acts. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Hannah, you got more questions? I don't have any more like just um, regular questions, I guess a simple one like it's early now y'all are up what are y'all gonna do for the rest of the day uh probably gonna get mcdonald's um right after this um 
And then, I don't know, I have an essay I have to do. I'll probably study for finals. So that's, that's probably about it on my end. Yeah, I got some schoolwork to do. That's pretty much the extent of my day today. All right. Well, Larry, do you have any more questions? I know you just said. Uh... Um, because we have President Castlin on next, I'm going to go take my bathroom break now. Um, I've drank so many bottles of Gatorade, I can't count. And yeah. Well, okay. I think y'all can just keep me coming until she comes back. But do you have anything you want to say to the people who are watching? Oh, well, before you guys leave, and I know I don't know if you guys have been watching or anything, but to all of our guests, we have been um, um, streaming the link to the fund, uh, the COVID-19 Emergency Relief Fund. Guests have given um, as small as a dollar to up to $250. And so wherever your heart feels, anything helps. And then worst case scenario, um, which is still a great case, um, is just promoting the link, but at least a dollar, that's what we're asking. And then if your heart desires to give more, then that would be great as well. Lyric and I gave 40. And um, so, yeah, if you guys could please do that, that would be well, I'll tell you what, Hannah, my donation was entirely contingent on how much fun I had here, and I had a ton of fun, so I'm going to go donate right now. Yeah. Oh. I know that um, my parents are watching, so John and Tam, y'all need to make sure to donate. Um, Speaker Latham, former Speaker Latham I know is also watching, so Dave, make sure you kick a few dollars our way. Yes, yes. Hi, everybody. Oh my god! I don't know who's all. I don't have like lyric is dealing with the like, YouTube live streaming aspect, so I literally just see Zoom and then the schedule, um, and I'm just going off of that. But I don't really want that watching. I hope you're entertained. This is very enlightening. Like you know, we had a little bit of fun talking about reality TV, but also books and not. Yeah, it was it was a good switch up. I think I think we we let people know that we are smart, but we're also fun. So you gotta have to <laughs> Smart but trashy is always the goal. <laughs> Duplicity. But yeah. Well, I think that is it. I will um thank you guys so much for coming on, especially this early on a Saturday. Happy to do it. We really appreciate it. And I know I'll be seeing you guys soon, but do you have the any one of y'all have any last remarks that you want to say to people who are watching? I just wanna say I really enjoyed this. Uh, I had a lot of fun. Um I think Lyric and I, despite having been in SUNY Gov for so long, really don't know each other that well. But every time we talk, I find out like we're in the exact same things. Um, so Lyric, we just need to one night sit down and just talk about our interests because we're in the same things it would seem. Hey, um, listen to me, I'm down. <laughs> um, but seriously, thank y'all so much for doing this. I think this is awesome y'all are doing this. Um, and y'all are both phenomenal student leaders. Um, so thank y'all, seriously. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, I just want to echo what JD said. I had a lot of fun. Um, and you guys are obviously incredible for putting this on. You're on what hour? A lot right now, right? Yeah, hour yeah. live. Hour delirium. <laughs> yes. But um, I'm incredibly proud to be associated with both of you um, and, and your achievements thus far. And I, hopefully, we raise a bunch more money um, so that we can actually help students. That'd be that's the goal, right? So, yep. thank y'all for having us on. I had so much fun. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Bye. Bye. Oh. Hannah, how you doing? Were you up all night? Up all night. So since four, we're going until four, um, but we're more than halfway done. I have this.
I don't know if you would approve or not, so don't judge me, but this muscle recovery that my dad uses, but apparently it gives you energy. So I've uh, gotten a little scoop of that in some water, and I'm great right now. <laughs> drinking coffee. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, it had to be an interesting night for you, though. So interesting. Um, the crazy thing is, like, when Hannah originally came up with the idea, she was like, do 10 hours. But, like, with all the people that we had on, there's no way that we would have been able to fit all of these people in 10 hours. I mean, it would have had to be, like, 15-hour slots. So um, I'm really glad that we ended up doing 24 even though um, it's been very, very taxing on both of us um, physically. But, um, I mean, the stories that we've been able to hear, um, the people we've been able to learn from, talk to from all over the university, past, present, and future, uh, has been really cool. Um, it's been an invaluable experience for sure. So Yeah, you guys had William Tate on, I saw. That's great. We did. It was a- such a great conversation. So excited for him to be the university provost. And then, of course, we can't neglect Coach Don Staley. Um, Champ was on, and it was a great, great time. Mayor Benjamin, um, uh, Dr. Edwards. Later, we have um, Dr. Pruitt. I think he's coming on right after you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So are you raising money? Or is, how's, this, how's that looking? How's yeah. that coming? Um. So currently, since we started, we have raised, I'll refresh this, $1,318.01 for the um, U of SC COVID-19 Relief Fund with 34 donors so far. Um, I know Caden and JD, who just got off, said that they're going to donate um, and so that should that number should probably be going be going yeah. So up. I've already did my donation, but I wanted to do a donation as part of my uh, appearance here today, not to make a big deal about it, but just to uh, support you and back you up. And uh, so, do you get credit for donations that are as a result of your sh- show, or how does that um, work? You know? Or do so- I just get online and just go ahead and donate? Yeah, Hannah and I um, through the University of through the university development department, um, they made us ambassadors. Uh, so they made us um, ambassadors for the uh, relief fund. So we have our own special link that we've been using and hand, um, giving out. So I'll actually uh, put the link for that in the chat so you can um, use that specifically um, and to go along with the podcast. But yeah, so that's what we, we've been doing basically. Yes. Could just, can you send me that link, or is there a way I can find it? Yeah, um, I'm going to put it in the chat for the Zoom, so you'll um, be able to see it. On chat. Oh, wait a minute. i got to figure out how to do that. You um, guys, I think it'll pop up in a minute. <laughs> this should just pop up. I got it. I got it. Okay. Let's see. But, yeah, Hannah, you can start questioning while I figure this part out. <laughs> All right, cool. So um, I know you've probably gotten hit in with a lot of questions. Hard, um, hard right now when it comes to this pandemic leading the university. But um, just personal questions, like how has it been? Um, this is your first year as president of the University of South Carolina, and during your 
second semester here, a pandemic happened. So how has it been the process? I know I've been a part of it a little bit with your um, future planning groups, but if you could talk a little bit about um, how you transitioned or been able to instantly um, navigate these difficulties that we're facing. Yeah, no, thanks, and I appreciate it. Okay, can I first uh, make a comment about the uh, thing that happened with the Association of African American Students last night? Are you aware of that? With the mm -hmm. uh, first of all, I tweeted that out, and I when I saw that, I was very fortunate that they made me aware about it, really, really right up front. And so this is totally against who we are as Gamecocks. This is totally against our values that are expressed in the Carolina Creed. This is just totally against what society is all about and how people work and get along together within a society. And uh, so um, it was appalling. I was offended. I can just imagine how they all felt when they saw that. And it was disgusting. Um, so we have uh, done a couple of things. One is we got with uh, Doug Foster, who's our director of IT, that he is now working with Zoom to try to find the IP address of uh, whoever sent that and zoom is supposedly cooperating we've also gone to equal opportunity cliff scott to initiate an investigation uh, we've notified the director the the interim uh, vice president for diversity and inclusion and equity and uh, we're going to take whatever actions that we need to take um that we that first of all we got to find out who uh, was behind all this and then take the appropriate actions that we uh, legally are authorized to take. Just just right up front, as a president of the university, when our students have experienced something like this, it's appalling. I'm sorry for, for each and every one of them. And totally inappropriate, uncalled for, and it's against everything that we stand. And I just feel bad for all of them that they had to go through that and witness all that. And everybody who's affiliated with that group in any capacity, I'm just very sorry for all of you. And just trust me that we're going to do everything we can to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, I'll say personally, um, thank you for your leadership on this. Um, I, I've seen like a lot of students just talk about we're really thankful for how swiftly um, the university responded um, um, to these allegations. I mean, like, and just um, immediately condemning those actions and saying that this is not what we stand for as a university. Um, and I just think that um, I, thank you so much for your leadership and um, it's very commendable. commendable. I, like we had uh, Lakia Brown, who works for on uni, university social media, on earlier, and we were uh, talking about it. Um, but really, um, I think it means a lot to students when um, the university stands with them and for them, um, and really moves quickly in the light of really disgusting actions. Um, I'm I'm a senior, and this is the first AAAS cookout that I haven't been at. Uh, since uh, I've been a student here, and it, it, it was because I was on the podcast on, then suddenly, like, st students were just sending me videos and screenshots and things of those natures, and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is really terrible. And so um, I felt I felt personally offended. Um, I'm a paid member of AAAS, so was Hannah. Uh, and so, yeah. Um, Hannah, yeah, anything? Um, I mean, just to echo what Lyric's saying, thank you so, so much. And I hate that these circumstances, um, I mean, they still happen now, apparently. I mean, clearly, like they did. But it goes to show at the end of the day, we don't know who did this. And of course, the university is doing everything that they can right after they heard about it to figure out who did this and to create a solution. But just seeing even the response aspect of when these, like, 
when this situation happened. Um, you clearly went straight to Twitter just to say your um, firsthand opinions about it. it's not okay, it's disgusting, and we're going to figure this out. But then strategically going behind and having these connections, reaching out to Zoom, um, any and everyone in order to figure that out on that end. And this happened, what, around, I mean, it was, it was at 6.50. So, I mean, it's relatively, like, definitely new. And seeing how the response, the response time with that has really um, made me uh, proud to be, I guess, a Gamecock in that sense to where, like, we're still a family. Um, for some reason, if someone tries to come and mess with this family, then we will all come together in order to figure out who was trying to do that and um, in order to ensure each and every one um, of us that we're here for each other. So whether it's on a university level, I saw it on organization level, organizations all across campus, probably organizations that typically don't even collaborate on like day-to-day -day basis, con um, con contacting AAAS members and um, sharing the AAAS Instagram um, statement and things of that nature. I just like that's very uplifting, even though this um, unfortunate circumstance happened. So thank you so much. Yeah, we're going to stand together. You know, if you take one stick, it's easy to break. If you take a whole bunch of sticks and put them together, you're not going to break that whole bunch of sticks. It's impossible. So that's what we need to do. You need to stand together on something like this. And uh, and I have no problem as the president of the university leading that charge because this is just not who we are. And if we have any responsibility in the in our institution to develop our future citizens of our state and and of our nation. This is the values that they will leave this university with are important, not only to them personally and to their future success, but to our reputation as and what this university stands for. Hannah, I know you said you had a question before um, we talked about this. Before. Oh, it was just about you personally. I know you get a lot of questions specifically about what next, what to do, this and that. Like we need answers, but specifically just about you and your personal well-being. How has it been? Um, this is your first year being the president of the University of South Carolina and second semester midway um, the pandemic hits and we have to um, you decide to close the semester out to where students are virtual because of the pandemic and for health reasons to keep students um, healthy and safe but still having this all this uncertainty in the air I know you always get emails messages and just questions of what's happening next so how are you dealing with that um, personally? Well, I miss the students because the students uh, always inspire me. Whenever I get depressed, I just walk outside and, and get a conversation going with a student. I just get pumped and fired up. Uh, so without the students here, you know, <laughs> I lose my, uh, my, my way to really get inspired and get excited. But frankly, uh, you know, we're doing this for students, for their safety and their well-being. We're doing it for our faculty and for our staff. And your safety, your well-being is first and foremost in everything that we're, that we're all about. Um, and, and with that in mind, it really guides and focuses me on what we're really doing and, and what the decisions have to have. I mean, the consequence of our decisions have to have that in the background, the safety and the health of each one of our students and our faculty and staff members. Um, actually, I, I, have a, I have a question. Um, one thing that um, has come up a lot in a couple times, I think, in the conversations with some guests that we had on previous and just talking about how um, it's, I think, is almost a year and a day to when I think originally candidates uh, came on campus, like for the presidential search and just seeing how I think everything has come full circle. And you have people who are, I mean, originally, like, you know, an opposing side, I mean, like, are a 
or just like, you know, like even like you and, and coming Provo's Tate, where I mean, originally, like, you know, both candidates for the same job. And I think like seeing so many um, full circle moments coming, like people are working together. And like, um, I don't think any of us could have seen like a lot of uh, this coming. And just like, I think even at the end of the day, like um, we made some of us like, you, you know, like we may not have, um, I think, agreed with like the process is just like learning how to work together and find common ground has just been so important I think over uh, the past year but especially in times like these um, in the midst of this crisis of just finding ways to build bridges and like work with people um, that you might disagree with or just make those tough decisions and um, really just kind of find that common ground is game cocks and play to your own strengths um, with your military background and keeping a level head in the middle of a crisis and things like that. Have you been navigating um, all of that to not only just be a leader, but bringing a lot of different sides and a lot of different people to the table um, in order to truly benefit this university in the best way possible? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> I appreciate it. So the the uh, the issue to me is is uh, how do you build trust? How do you build trust with all the different constituents that are out there? So you so how do I reach out with the students? How do I reach out and gain the trust of the faculty? And how do I gain the trust of the staff? And even out of campus, the external constituents that are out there, whether it's local leaders like uh, Mayor Benjamin, whether it's uh, state legislators, um, or whether it is uh, the board members themselves, and and the first thing you have to do is you got to kind of break down the stigma of where where the concerns are. So I recognized right away that I come from a non-standard background going into higher education. Although I had been a president of a university, it was a military <clears throat> university, as you know, based on my military background. And, you know, when we went to an all-volunteer army way back in the 1970s, we created this gap that exists between the civilian society and the military. They call it the civ mill gap. And out of that gap, there's a lot of unknowns about the military has with civilian societies and how civilians have in their knowledge about the military. And that particular gap creates a lot of, because of the unknowns, um, questions and concerns and things like that. So my job is to try to bridge that gap and to tear down as much of the stereotypes of coming coming in with a military and authoritative type of style and leadership and all that sort of thing. Uh, so I had to demonstrate that I was uh, approachable and I tried to achieve that from wanting to listen and to listen to all the different constituent groups that were out there. And first and foremost, if you remember, even before on the very first day that I got there before my press briefing, I, I met with students and I wanted to meet with students intentionally to save that message to send that message to them that you are the most important reason why I am here. And I want to be here not to tell you what I want to do. I want to be here so that I can listen to your concerns and listen to your advice on what you're, you expect of the next president. Uh, so, and then it was just not a one-time event. You have to, you have to generate that type of approachability and, and address those type of concerns. And then when you listen and hear the problems, you got to take action on them. You just can't sit there and listen about them and then just go about your own business. You really have to see what the, what the issues are and take the appropriate action. And trust is a function of not only your credibility, <clears throat> um, but your character. 
And if you're going to have be a person of character, you got to be true to your word. So if you say you're going to do something, you really need to do it. You really need to step out and do that. So, so it was a matter of building trust with, with uh, students and then with the faculty. And I've worked very hard trying to build trust and a trust relationship with the faculty as well. Um, especially knowing that um, they gave me the faculty senate gave me a no confidence vote just coming into this job in the first place. But I'm trying to break down those barriers, and I, I'm doing it. You know, sometimes one at a time, trying to build bridges, uh, be approachable, to listen, uh, to understand challenges and issues, to put resources where they really need to make a difference, and um, and then just assess where we are, assess where we are from where people think we are, and then do it all over again. Um, and I'm, I'm nowhere near where I need to be, and I'm nowhere near where uh, my predecessor my predecessors have been in their relationship with students and faculty and staff, but um, I know I still got a ways to go, but I love the challenge. And, and as I, as I said before, the thing that really inspires me and everything that I do are the students and, and the opportunities that we create for the students. I don't want a building named after me or anything. My legacy is going to be how successful the students that graduate from the university of South Carolina are and the type of jobs, the type of families, the type of, uh, contributions that they give back to their communities and to their societies. That's the legacy because your legacy really needs to be in the great, the greatness of people and, and in your investment in people and, the, and into their lives and into their future. And that's what really gets me fired up with the students and how incredibly inspiring the students are here at the University of South Carolina. And I know that you talked earlier about sometimes like right now, you looked for the students when you needed some like encouragement, like when you're down, you just go outside and see some students, but there, there are none on campus. So what are you doing now in order to keep yourself sane, keep yourself motivated, encouraged day in and day out, having to deal with the current circumstances and where the university should go um, during this time, but still keeping your sanity. So students aren't there, where do you go to? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you two are students, so you know I, I you know every once in a while I'll I'm a, I'll attend a class or or some sort of student event, and um, I was at a great class the other day. This is um, this was a class with um, people that really want it. It's kind of taught at Platt Platt Gym, and it was and I went to it physically when I was here before, but they they had a bunch of uh, students. And then they brought in um, a news reporter, a pretty known, well-known news reporter, who was abused for sexual abuse and sexual sexual harassment. And she was talking to the entire class about some of her experiences and things like that. And I was invited to sit in on that, and it was it was phenomenal. And uh, but just listening to the students and seeing how they engaged with this news reporter was really fascinating and it was great to see that just um, curiosity were you invited by um shannon henry yes yeah it was yeah, she's coming on henry. later oh yeah yeah well, it was shannon's class you know yes and uh <clears throat> so anyway it, she had invited me and i what shannon does in her class is just fantastic but i i had the invite and i was glad to do it i i've been i went to a mathematics class and engineering class and a couple other classes and then some other student groups too so 
I, I'm trying to reach out to the students as much as I can, but there's no shortage of issues that, to keep me busy. Yeah. We put together this planning group. The planning group is really phenomenal. You know, they, we, we, we go to the Arnold School of Public Health and they have all these epidemiologists that really look at public health from a public perspective. And this virus and how this virus migrates is exactly in their, in their business. So it's just fascinating to work with them as they develop all kinds of different scenarios on where this virus is going to migrate, how it's going to migrate. And they're really good at their modeling and just getting a good impression, a good understanding of it. And then you look at what are the impacts on enrollment? What are the impacts of enrollment on finances? Um, what are some of the athletic challenges that we may experience and all kinds of different questions that are out there. So working with this future planning group, and trying to figure out what is the best scenario for us to deal with this virus and not get these outbreaks, not only on campus, but within the community that we live in. And at the same time, be able to get back to normal, get back to normal football games, get back to normal basketball games and things like that. And so that challenge in itself is really uh, taking a lot of time and energy, but working with the future planning group, those, uh, professionals are amazing and they're really really good and they and they and, and they're all committed to making sure that we have we do the right thing and make the right solutions um i think uh, i have a question on i think that this is um this university has been around since 1801 and i i mean like it's withstood so many different types of I think different types of crises and things of that nature. And I mean, like we always find a way to be resilient, but I think a pandemic, um, this is unlike anything like we've ever seen. And um, what do you want your, I know you touched a little bit on this cause you're just like um, the success of the students will determine like your, your success, but, um, especially in the midst of this crisis, what do you want your legacy to be on the university? So well, we want a flagship that is the preeminent flagship university in America. But we take a different view of a flagship university. If you're a flagship university, you know, you want to be the preeminent academic programs that attract the best faculty members, that attract the best research programs, and we want to do all that. Matter of fact, we got some of the best programs in America already, you know, the Gallimore Business College, International Business and Supply Chain Management, and over in um, um, in sports science, those those programs rank number one in the nation, and I'm very glad to to have that as part of our university. Um, and so, but but a flagship university, in my opinion, has got to serve the people of the state of which you're a flagship of. So we, we really need to serve the people of South Carolina. And the people of South Carolina, because the more I travel and the more I get to know them, um, they have incredible desires to, to want to get an education and improve their lives and improve the, uh, the living conditions in South Carolina itself. And so I think there's tremendous opportunities there. Um, but they also have ch huge challenges in access and affordability. I remember I was in Fairfield County. I went to one of the high schools. I was walking the halls with the principal and this really energetic, fired up young 
man who was a senior in high school came up to the principal and introduced himself. She introduced me to him. And when you could tell he was really vibrant. He was bright. Um, the principal knew him of all the students in the entire school, and they had a very close relationship. And so I asked the student, who, by the way, was a student, student of color. And I asked the student, I said, um, I said, what are you going to do next year? He's a senior. He says, I don't know. I said, why don't you go to college or come to be a Gamecock? And he immediately says, no, I can't. I can't afford it. You know, so throughout this state, we have some affordability challenges. And if we're going to be a, if we're going to be a preeminent flagship university, we're going to be a flagship university that finds ways to serve the people of South Carolina. And we have to find ways to make higher education affordable. And we've got to find ways to make higher education accessible. You know, we have high standards, admission standards for the for um, being a Gamecock. And there's a lot of students out there that want to be a Gamecock. And, and it's not that hard. You just got to be committed, as you all know, to your high school education. So you get the grades and the grade point averages and the standardized test scores that you really need to. And this is all drive and accessibility. It would be my dream that every single high school student in the state of South Carolina who wants to be a game cockhead is eligible and has a, and has the grade point averages and can access the university of South Carolina as well. And that's, that would be my dream. So unfortunately over 35% of the students that graduate out of high school in South Carolina, those students do not go to college or higher education. And on top of that, you got another 15 or 20% that when they do go to higher education, they go to higher education out of state, not in state. So that's almost uh, just under half of the graduating class. If we can get that graduating class inspired to, number one, want to go to college, to, number two, be eligible to go to college with grades and grade point averages, and, number three, can afford to go to college, and if they really want to go to college in the state of South Carolina, we, we want to be able to enable that to make that happen. So we're going to we, – we as a – flagship university serving the people of South Carolina I've got to find ways that we can make uh, the University of South Carolina accessible and affordable to every single high school student in the state of South Carolina who wants to come here. I'm really glad that you brought that up. Um, I am a first-generation college student and a member of our TRIO Opportunity Scholars Program as well as our GameCock Guarantee Program here at USC and um, I was also a member of the Congressional Advisory Board. We were supposed to actually present our report to you um, about the research that we ended up taking to D.C., but due to um, coronavirus and all those things, um, that got canceled. But uh, that was one of the things that um, I was able to advocate um, on behalf of, like, it was six of us on the team, so each of us had our own area of research, and mine was first-generation advocacy, um, particularly of, like, how can we make college the entire college experience um i'm not just talking about tuition and fees uh, but how can we make the complete college experience um available and accessible for first generation low low socioeconomic students particularly in the state of south carolina um and that was what um i personally um presented to this um on to the south carolina delegation and my colleagues um they did other topics such as um, diversity and inclusion, um, 
Veterans Affairs, um, mental health, um, opioid addiction, and things of that nature. Um, we had a very successful trip to DC in February um, and going to the delegation on that. But um, I know you've talked to both Hannah and I um, about um, how can we make college more accessible for um, students of color as well as first generation college students. I mean, um, low socioeconomic students. And so I um, have, I'm always going to be a strong supporter of making this place uh, as available as possible. And for students to know that no matter where you come from, that this is an option. Like I grew up not believing that USC was an option for me, even though it was 12 minutes down the road. Um, so I think like it's super important, like in, I think in my work and my research to do my best to um, try to make that happen. I mean, and Hannah as a university ambassador um, and as student body vice president, I'm sure you have uh, a lot of experience in just really trying to paint a picture for students um, and letting them know that this university um, is definitely an option. So just thank you um, for making that a priority um, going forth for the university. Like I, it's very appreciated. Um, and I'm really excited to see um, growth um, in those areas for sure. So and I, I would just say this, you know, one of the things that I think are important is that we really address this affordability issue. We as a university, I mean, the state legislature ought to look at it as well. And the issue ends up being, what about, we're, what are we doing for, need-based scholarships. There's a lot of uh, money that's out there for merit-based scholarships, but what, what are we doing for need-based need scholarships? That one young student in Fairfield County who was very intelligent, very bright, but just can't afford, why don't we make college accessible to him? And why can't we find a way to be able to provide a need-based scholarship for him? So one of the things that we did, and it was, frankly, it was part of the, the budget up until um, COVID-19, uh, messed up with the budget for the state of South Carolina. But we have proposed that we, right now I am, I as a president am allowed to use 4% of my tuition dollars for need-based and merit-based scholarship. And we asked the state, and I'm confined by legislation, and we asked the legislators to propose a change to the legislation that would allow me to increase that from 4% to 8%. And the eligibility for need base was what they call the poverty level, which I think is like twenty thousand uh, dollars annual income. But we wanted to increase it by a hundred percent to go up to forty thousand dollars. So that would increase the eligibility pool of need base, and we would also increase from four percent to eight percent. And that was part of the budget. With and if they don't approve the budget, which it looks like they're just going to do a continuing resolution instead. We're going to lose an ability for us as a university to be able to influence need-based scholarships. But, you know, we're going to have another campaign for fundraising um, in another couple of years. And, one of, and one, of the, one of the things you do on your fundraising is you list all of your priorities as a president. Trust me. Trust me. My number one or my number two priority is going to be need-based education. So we're going to try to raise funds for in this campaign for need-based scholarships so that we can get these scholarships endowed. So if you have the endowment, then the interest every year ends up paying for the scholarship. So it's there forever. I mean, idealistically, it's there forever. So that you have these endowed scholarships. There's plenty, I don't want to say plenty, we could always use more, but there are a number of endowed scholarships for merit. And 
we have those in the university and almost everybody in the honors colleges, you know, is, is uh, receives one or two of them. But we really need to do the same thing we do for merit-based. We need to do it for, for need-based so that these young men and women throughout the state of South Carolina that are that really want to go to, to the university. And it doesn't have to be minority. It can be some of the people over there in the and elsewhere of low economic, socioeconomic groups within the state that really would love to go to university that have the potential to be great students at the university, but just can't afford to do it. And we need to address that. And that's how I think, uh, in my opinion, both with legislation that allows me to be able to use additional monies for that purpose and in the campaign that we're going to have and putting that as a top priority uh, in the campaign to get some endowed scholarships for the base basis. I think a lot of students here are, are kind of not even aware of how much goes into how the university works. So specifically, and I, I mean, I can understand this, but just as the university president, like you're set on this pedestal to where if something's not going right, you just go straight to you. They don't like that. No one else really matters. It's just, I mean, I only know President Kasson's our president. So what do we do now because of that? But can you explain a little bit? I know you talked briefly about legislation and how that's important with the budget, but can you explain briefly like the um, process of the university budget or even legislation and how important that is in the flagship university in the University of South Carolina? That makes sense. Yeah, the, well, you know, the president uh, kind of sits above the the entire university, but the president is not in charge. The people who are in charge are the board, the board of trustees. Right. And the board of trustees are elected by the legislative representatives and the legislative representatives are elected by the people of South Carolina. So theoretically, you know, as a public university, we work for the people of South Carolina. We don't work for that. That's who we're ultimately accountable for. And I accept that. And I think that's a, a great model. Um, so that I cannot do what I just freely want to do, that I'm held accountable in my behavior, I'm held accountable in the budget, I'm held accountable in so many areas, and I think that's important. Um, so, having said that, um, I have a staff, so I have a personal staff, you know, like an executive and a chief of staff that helps coordinate um, staff actions, but then you have a series of vice presidents. So, <clears throat> um, so I don't have the organizational chart in front of me, but you know, one, one vice president would be the executive vice president for administration that has chief operating officer and the chief finance officer. And that's where your finance and your budget comes together. And that's where your daily operations come together. Part of that organization is the safety and the security, our police uh, that you see on campus. Another part of that organization is HR, human relations, which is really your, the people that do your payroll and all that and the hiring. Um, of the org of every all the employees throughout the organization, and part of that org organization of that executive vice president for administration is capital expenditures, the building of buildings, the you know the, the repair of buildings and things of that sort. So that's where all that falls in. Then you have the vice president for academic affairs or the provost. And the provost is really the second in charge of the entire organization. If you look at a hierarchy of, of where people are and the provost is really responsible for the entire academic program. <clears throat> and um, underneath the provost are uh, our um, associate provosts or yeah, associate provosts. Um, and then you have underneath them that that's kind of like the provost staff. And then underneath that, you have the deans of each one of the 13 colleges from the university and the deans are, 
have oversight of each one of the academic units. And within each academic unit, you have chairs. So these are like uh, branches, I guess is another way to put it, of each one of the, of the dean disciplines. <clears throat> and there are varying numbers of, of, of chairs based on, you know, like arts and science is the largest one. They have a number of chairs and, you know, like music department, they just have a, have a few uh, chairs. Um, then you have really student affairs, and that's where students get a lot of input and a lot of uh, engagement with, with the president's staff. And that's Dennis Pruitt. So you're going to interview Dennis Pruitt a little bit later, Dr. Pruitt. He's great, been around, knows this university upside down, hugely well-respected in the, the entire higher education industry. And, and he's magnificent. So he's got um, student affairs. So that's where you see Anna Edwards. Uh, that's where you see Scott Verbell, which is admissions. So Scott is the one that's responsible for all the admissions at that. Uh, so applying and things like that. Also admissions for each one of the colleges, undergraduate and graduate as well. Um, then I, this is a Carnegie R1 University, which means that we play big into research. We want to improve our research program and become a, a premier research institution. Um, but right now we are R1 at the Carnegie level and we have a vice president for research and he really is responsible for developing all the different research programs that are out there that exist. Um, so uh, he's fantastic. And, and then I have, um, um, I have oversight because I'm not only the president of the University of South Carolina, Columbia, I'm also the president of the University of South Carolina system. So I'm the system president as well, which means I have oversight of the other three comprehensive uh, universities, which is USC Aiken, USC Upstate, and USC Buford. And so I have oversight of those three chancellors and the Palmetto Chancellor, which is a degree completion program that also includes the, the four two-year colleges. Uh, and that, and I have oversight of that chancellor as well. So, you know, I work very closely with, with them in, in that capacity. And then I have a vice president for IT, Doug Foster, that really has been doing some magnificent work, particularly when we were thrust into the online program to make sure that we can deliver education online. And he's been magnificent. So, um, so those are all the different staff organizations. And you can just see when Everybody has a unique issue problem, whether it's academic, whether it's with construction, whether it's parking, whether it's with, with uh, um, fees and services or whatever it is. There is a staff element that deals with it, and there is the academic. And our main mission is to transform the students through education. And the main mission happens through, um, right now, the interim provost, but soon to be Bill Tate as our provost once he gets here and to, to deliver education through the 13 unit colleges that we have. Um, so that, that's how that works. Now, as you go along, there's different requirements for policy and policy development. So we believe in what we call shared governance. Shared governance means that decisions are not made at the top by the president. Decisions are made collaboratively throughout the, where the entire organization has input into the development of that policy or into the development of that decision. And for example, we have in the faculty area, a faculty Senate. And you notice by the name of faculty Senate, that the Senate means that they have some type of governance responsibility. 
So because they have a governance responsibility, they have input into the development of policy issues. And whether it's financial, whether it's academic, or whether it is just, uh, you know, how student, student behavior, they have input into everything, uh, which is really a good thing because we really need the faculty's perspective and they have to feel part of this organization because if they fail to be part of this organization, you know, they won't, they're just going to do what they're told. They won't exercise a great initiative in the talents that they have. So, so the faculty center is so important. Policy development is important. And as the policy works their way up through the chain, the chain of hierarchy, when it finally gets to the president, you have a good perspective on everything, on everybody's view. And ideally, by the time it gets to me, all the different issues have been sorted out and you now have consensus. So when you have consensus and you develop policy and you make decisions with consensus, then you have buy-in. And one of the most important things on any new policy or, or any change that you make is important to have buy-in throughout the organization. And that type of process ensures that type of buy-in. So that's that's <laughs> that's a lot there, Hannah, on you know, how but this university works. But. Yes, and I know, and I feel like a lot of students really do not know the ins and outs of how everything works. So I feel like that was very informative to any student um, who's just interested in how the line of processing Work, so. I know like it's definitely interesting like learning um I think Dr. Edwards calls it um learning how the sausage is made because I think yeah. a lot of times uh people just like uh, they just automatically assume like oh my gosh it's all the president's fault but like there's so many um and, like and I mean especially as being the flagship because like we have all these different campuses everything is like so spread out um, everywhere. And like, so everybody has a very um, specific position and how um, everything comes together and how we work with the legislature. And a lot of times people just really just don't know how a lot of those things work together. So I'm really glad that you um, took the time to break that down for us. Now, one of the challenges we have is a flagship. And this is something I, I mean, I was working on very hard up until COVID. And then as soon as we get out of COVID, I'm gonna continue to work this. <clears throat> if you're a flagship for the union, of University of South Carolina for the people of South Carolina, then your focus should be on the people of South Carolina <clears throat> first. But if you look at our enrollment, we are about 52% in-state South Carolina and 48% out-of-state. So if we're the flagship for the state of South Carolina, why do we have such a high out-of-state population? The answer is money, tuition. So we're a public university, so a lot of the money that we receive is appropriated from the state budget. And a few years ago, the state budget sunk significantly. As a matter of fact, this is common through most states across the nation, that higher, higher education of public universities is seeing decreased state appropriations from their state uh, budgets, which means that now the university has to find other sources to generate that revenue. And the best way to generate revenue is with tuition. And the best way to really make a difference in your tuition is either increase your student population or go after out of state because out of state has significantly higher tuition than the in-state. And so, so over the years that uh, my predecessor was a president, when the budget from the state decreased significantly, the way he was able to counter that was to go after out of state uh, tuition and to increase uh, the tuition numbers, but increase them primarily from out of state. It worked, you know, 
But right now, the, what we're up against is a 52% in-state, 48% out-of-state. And if we're going to serve the people of South Carolina, we really have a terrible imbalance. Mm -hmm. You know, I would love to see, in my opinion, I would love to see us at least 65% in-state and 35% out-of-state. Now, that itself, that statement itself creates a lot of concern with presidents from the other 30-some public colleges in the state of South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Because there is a limited number of in-state students, and everybody wants those in-state students, obviously. So my idea of this is not to go after that 55% of the high school graduating class that everybody's going after. In other words, I don't want to make my slice of the pie bigger at the expense of other people's pot slices. I want to make the whole pie bigger. The 45% who either don't go to college or go to college out of state, we want to go inspire them to seek higher education. And we want to go inspire them to want to get their higher education in South Carolina. So we want to make the whole pie bigger so that everybody benefits and not just the University of South Carolina. That's how we're going about it. I think um, we specifically during the pandemic, we're focused, which is necessary, but we're highly focused on the seniors. Um, specifically, I know that we um, extended the uh, graduation day to now technically in August. Um, but if for the freshmen, incoming freshmen, so U of SC 24, um, there's a lot of uncertainty in the air about what's going to happen in the future. But um, currently, a lot of them had to go without a senior prom, which is a tradition. Everyone should um, given the opportunity to go through. A lot of them, um, their graduations are being virtualized now, um, or they're still pending us if um, whoever has not made it official, if they're going to have a graduation at all. So do you have any encouraging words or what would you say to those um, future Gamecocks that are coming into um, your university? Yeah, well, first of all, we want to, we want to make sure that, well, let me just, can I first talk to the seniors? Yeah. First of all, to the seniors. Uh, you know, you all have, have really inspired me just by your actions. You have been thrown a situation that you didn't ask for. You've been thrown a situation that, for lack of a better word, robs you of your senior spring semester, one of the, one of the most fun times of your entire life. You've been robbed from the opportunity to be around this great campus and your friends. You've been robbed of the opportunity to really celebrate your great accomplishment with a commencement. Um, and you did not choose any of that. And, and I really, I just think it's terrible, but it is what it is. What has inspired me is the great tremendous attitude that you have all demonstrated. And, you know, I always say that adversity really defines your character. And in my opinion, your character is the most important thing in life. Because you can be number one in your class, but when you fail in character, you failed altogether. It's just a total failure. So character, you can, you can be last in your class, but if you're a man or woman of character, you're going to be very successful in life, period. And that's just something I believed in. But this adversity has really defined your character. And also, as iron sharpens iron, this adversity has refined your character. So said another way, you all are getting better every day 
as a result of your perseverance and your resilience and your tenacity and the incredible character traits that you have demonstrated in dealing with what has been taken away from you. I always say that, you know, the outcome is really a function of what happens to you and your reaction to it. And your reaction has been admirable and it inspires me and I thank you. We, the university, owe you a lot. We owe you a phenomenal opportunity to celebrate your accomplishment. And we owe you the opportunity, uh, those of you who are supposed to get your rings, you know, to get your, you know, your school, school rings this, this spring. We're, we owe you the opportunity to, to celebrate and to come back on campus. And we want to make that available for you um, as soon as we can, you know, obviously under the constraints of, you know, a safe and healthy environment and all those sorts of things. So seniors, thank you uh, for who you are, what you are, how you persevered through this. And it really says a lot about who you are. To the freshmen that are interested in coming here, um, you, 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 you must realize you are coming to the, the number one freshman college experience in the entire United States of America. And I say this not because this university is a party school, but this university embraces our freshmen. It welcomes them with their with arms wide open. It does everything they can to lay out the red carpet for them. It makes sure that they are successful academically. They have a University 101 uh, course that all freshmen have to take to really focus them on how to be successful academically and how to be successful living out of home for the first time. And this college experience it has a reputation of being number one. We want to do everything we can to ensure that you come out here this fall uh, for your college experience. Um, we are working, before I get any further on that topic, we're working all the different options in that planning group that I had talked about before is working all the different options to make sure that we can do that. We don't know whether or not we can yet, of course, because the virus has a vote. We'll see how it plays out. But uh, we want, we're going to make sure that we can give you a freshman experience that no other college university can. And when you stand in that stadium and, uh, and you cheer on the football team, the basketball team, the women's uh, volleyball team, you go out there and watch our swimming and diving team, softball, baseball, you're going to be proud to be wearing um, garnet and black and being a Gamecock. And what really has impressed me about being a Gamecock is uh, not only the incredible loyalty our students have, but equally, and if not more so, our alumni. And because our alumni love being a Gamecock and they're not bashful about it. And in this state where our rival is that, or that ugly orange one up there in the north, you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get in their face every time and say, hey, we're Gamecocks and uh, we're proud <laughs> of it. So, um, so come, welcome to the University of South Carolina, and we look forward to welcoming you and and uh, and and uh, making and laying out the red carpet for you as you get ready for your college experience here in Columbia with the Gamecocks. Um, I've been moving around. This is the first time I stepped outside in a week and a half. <laughs> so I moved, I moved to uh, my balcony because I think like this is going to keep me up having the sun shining directly in my face. Um, but um, one question that I wanted to ask you is that so since you've been here, um, 
what has been one of your favorite memories um, since becoming um, a Gamecock um, officially um, for you and your wife, Shelly? Um, well, like, what has been one of your favorite uh, memories since coming to uni- to the University of South Carolina and becoming our president? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think my favorite memory, well, and, and I'm glad you're outside, you know, because if you've been up all night, I don't know how you're staying awake, I guess. <laughs> Maybe the sunshine's helping you to, or the fresh air outside is helping you to kind of it's giving you a little bit of energy. <laughs> you're, you all amaze me for what you're doing. First of all, I'm very thankful for what you're doing. Um, so, the, you know, the, one of the best memories is, is, the, is a great victory over University of Georgia uh, when they were number three in the nation at the time, and we were unranked. We went to Georgia and just beat them and had to beat them in overtime. I thought that was phenomenal, and it was just really enjoyable to do that. And then to just be in the stadium um, to see 84,000 fans and the entire student body uh, cheering on uh, the teams. And, and whether it's – and not only the football, but, I mean, the basketball, women's basketball. I mean, one of my greatest memories is just seeing the women's basketball and winning the Southeast Conference Championship and tearing down the net um, or cutting down the net and um, – I mean, what a class operation, you know, I mean, that's, they're phenomenal. And they just, they just give everybody who's Garnet and black so much pride mm-hmm. just to know that, uh, you know, you're affiliated with such a class organization and, and it, you, you really love it. So just watching them is just an inspiration and, and is a great memory. And I really love the holidays here. You know I mean? The holiday and the holiday spirit and everybody's you know, finishing up and, you know, they got finals and they want to go home and get ready for the holidays and, you know, all the different holiday parties that go on and uh, having the students come with, with the Christmas tree lighting ceremony out there on the horseshoe and then having all the students coming over to the house uh, right afterwards and just walking through the house. And the other memory was every team that beat Clemson to come to the house and get some ice cream. That's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a lot of fun. I also enjoy, uh, you know, my morning uh, uh, PT uh, for the students that are interested in doing PT with me and get in, getting the coin here, I got my coins right here. My supply is as my coin. So, um, can you have your coin? My What's coin that? is in my room. I am in the guest room right now because okay. I can't go to sleep. My coin is in my room too. So I'm pointing you. You got to have your coin. You're supposed to have it on you, right? Uh, I'm <laughs> gonna, gonna, you know what? I'm gonna go back and get my coin <laughs> right now. I'm scared to open the door because then. Chaos happens. I'm in the house full, so. No, that's right. That's right. I'll give you a buy. I'll give you a buy on this. Give me a buy. I promise. I mean, I've already gotten back up now, so I got. I think she froze up. Yeah. We'll get her back. I think it was there. Oh, there it is. All right. (laughs) We have. You're awesome. Stay ready. Um, gotta stay ready, Hannah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I didn't know I was gonna get put on the spot. I was just planning. I can't go to sleep and I can't be in my bed or any anywhere near it. So I went somewhere else. I promise though. I keep it on me. I don't know how you all are doing what you're doing right now. Now you're in the morning and all of a sudden that big wave hits you and you want to. All you want to do is just kind of lay down and rest your eyes. And so when when are you officially over? What is it? Ten o'clock or four noon? o'clock p.m. Four what p.m. time? Four o'clock p.m. So you got to do this till four o'clock? Uh-huh. Four to four. So we started at four yesterday and we end four today. 
You ought to kind of rotate off and take a take a power nap. You know what a power nap is? It's like ten or fifteen minutes, man. That'll uh, keep you going for a couple hours. You take a power nap for ten, fifteen minutes, and then yeah, you'll be good. So you know you can trade off a little bit. Um, <laughs> strategy. And you go for a while, and and then go sleep or sleep for fifteen minutes, and then wake you up or something. Yeah. I honestly, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't get up. Oh, I'm not gonna lie to you. If I get up, if I go to sleep for 15 minutes, <laughs> I'm not getting up. It's just not gonna happen. And I, I honestly, I think I would. Me and Hannah will fight to see who goes first. Um, oh, switching off <laughs> for these naps, and then she'll mess around and not even get um get up, or I won't get up, and then it'll be a whole thing. And I think that honestly, the crazy thing is like I I remember when it was we were like five hours in, and I said, how are we gonna make it to 12? And now we are what six? We're six, we're over sixteen hours. We're almost seventeen hours in. Yeah, we're almost seventeen hours in. And so, like, that's crazy to think about. So we have more hours completed now than we have to go. So well, before I before I finish up, because I know I'm short on time, what advice would you give me as a president just uh, finishing up my first year? Um, I think just continuing to um, realize that there's always work to be done. Um, I think that even um, a lot of times, like I think as leaders, um, it's hard to one, congratulate yourself on the things you do. Right. Um, so like, don't dwell on everything that you do wrong, but I, I would definitely say just um, still remaining, um, um, just remaining humble enough to know, like, you know, you still have a long way to go, but I think that, Honestly, the strength of a leader is not even in, one, in any one person. It's about the team that you build around you um, and the people who are able to uh, just offer different perspectives and um, continuing to bring so many different voices um, from all over, so many different perspectives to the table and allowing those people at the table to feel comfortable saying what they need to say at that table, um, I think will be always so important. Um, I, I, when, I, when I read the article about the future planning group, I was absolutely um, blown away because I think that that's so necessary. Um, and I think um, leadership, and I, I will say um, that I, um, I, I, was a, I was a critic of, of yours, but I, I am very thankful for your leadership um, just because I, from day one, I was in that meeting when you met with students, some of it originally, like we've been able to um, talk plenty of times. And like, um, I've, I've appreciated the fact that you haven't shied away from difficult conversations, um, difficult conversations, particularly with people who may not um, um, agree with you or see the same viewpoints um, and continuing to be open to conversation, continuing to be open to um just still wanting to hear people out um, and having people hear you out um, and just being just, I think that's just a huge first step being willing to, you know, facilitate a lot of those conversations. So um, I'm really thankful for your leadership in that regard and continuing to um, one, extend all the branches and two, to be able to accept them. Um, so thank you for your leadership on that. Uh, President Castlin, um, I really do appreciate it. And I'm sure many other people do as well. Well, thank you, Rick. I appreciate it. I would let you, have you did you get word of our new uh, hire for the Vice President of Communications? I did. Um, I saw it yesterday. Larry uh, Thomas? 
Yes. So talk about it. But I want, I'm very proud of uh, my hiring record thus far. So mm-hmm. people I've hired are two women, two white male, and three African-American male. Mm-hmm. I'm very proud to, uh, so I'll stand up there with uh, my hires, and I want to make it as diverse as we can, because I think that diversity is very important. So so that's our my track record thus far. I'm very proud of that, and we'll continue in that regard as well. I think from um, my advice, and I know we talked briefly, like when we met earlier before um, even becoming a student body vice president, um, is to continue to be engaged. I know like um, throughout the year, you've been engaged with the luncheons and things of that nature, joining classes even while we're virtual, engaged as well as empowering students. So uh, I really do appreciate, I know Lyric mentioned just um, the plan, future planning groups, but not only having those future planning groups, but making sure that Student voices are incorporated in everything. Um, that is very important. I understand that you like you are doing that now with um, um, student leaders being involved. And I I really do just appreciate um, the sense of you understanding that engagement with the students is important, but not just engaging, empowering them to make sure that they understand that they have a voice or you really care about their needs. Um, receptiveness um, of any, um, whether it's criticism or just ways to improve, I feel like that is a huge thing. Students are willing to talk if you just sit them down and ask them to say any, or ask them for advice. So like you're doing right now, students are willing to talk about anything and everything. If you want the truth, they'll give it to you. Um, When it comes to problems, because problems happen all the time, the pandemic, the incident that happened yesterday, um, how, like, I've been thoroughly impressed about how you handle situations like this. you're, I don't know if that's like the background that you have with the military, but you're very level-headed from the outside, what I see about any and everything, and you're um, clear when it comes to objective, um, how to solve this calmly, effectively, and efficiently in, an, um, in a sensible amount of time, if that makes sense. So a uh, response time and then actions, of course, speak louder than words. And from what I've seen, um, like Lyric said, um, has like was um, a critic at first, but now um, just uh, th- all I can say is thank you for um, everything that you have done ever since coming to the university. And I know, I mean, honestly, it could it's it had to have been hard for you coming in uh, with people knowing that some people um, are um, kind of um, sensible to you or still um, trying to fill you out, if that makes sense. So coming into that environment and taking it on as a challenge. Um, and conquering that challenge, going exceeding, uh, exceedingly above expectations. Um, we really do appreciate and we see all that you're doing, especially since um, this pandemic has happened and anything that's happened on campus. We see that you're doing and we, we are very thankful, so. Well, character is defined in diversity. And Hannah, um, I know I gotta leave because uh, I ran out of time, but I would just say this, as we get ready for next year and next fall, I am, I'm not just saying this just to say it, I really am gonna need your help and Izzy's help to truly try to understand because as we bring students back on campus and you still got this virus spread around. Right. You know, so we're going to have students that will test positive. The, the question is how do we be able to contain so it doesn't spread across the entire student body, it doesn't spread throughout the entire Columbia community and stuff like that. So right. we really, you know, whatever social distance looks like on a college campus, <laughs> we have to set those conditions to bring the students back and we want to bring the students back we don't want to do all that online stuff of course we're going to do what's best for their 
safety and health, but we're going to need some the, your your help to help us to understand what the conditions are and to make those conditions safe and secure for our students. So it's going to be we got some really tough decisions ahead of us, and I'm going to need your help as we go through each and every one of them. Oh, of course, if you give me a seat at the table, I will speak up. All I ask for. <laughs> oh, I need you, to, and don't be bashful. Don't be bashful. All right, ladies. Yes, ma'am. So much, um, President Castlin, for coming on. Um, I know you you talked about. I think I sent you the fundraiser link, but also please share it on your Twitter. Um, I know a lot of people follow you. Um, just like um, if you can like retweet. Um, I think we tagged you in something. So uh, okay. yeah. So if you can share about the rest of the podcastathon right now, we have raised. Um, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna give you a final count before you get off. So we have raised $1,338.01. So I would love to get to $1,400 before, before 10 o'clock. So All right. Are, yeah. All right. No, I'm, glad, I'm glad to help with that. And, uh, and I will definitely retweet this. And thanks for, thanks for what you're doing. And really, thanks for reaching out to your students, to the student body. It means an awful lot. You all are showing and demonstrating great leadership and a lot of sacrifice on your part, making all this happen and being successful. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. And have a great rest of your day. All right. We'll see you. Thanks. Take Bye. care. Yep. Bye-bye. Right. Okay. I'm letting in now one of my favorite people at the university. Um, and I don't say that lightly because I have a lot of favorite people at the University of South Carolina. Hey. But this is actually one of my favorite people at the University of South Carolina that I'm letting in right now. Do you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Now, can you see me? Yes. Can you see me? I can see you. You're holding up pretty well. <laughs> Um, the last hour was pretty rough. Um, Hannah just went and took a bathroom break. This the I I had to walk outside. Um, I had to sit in the sun for a minute. Um, Put some water on your face. I had to. I ate a bowl of Reese's Puffs while President Castlin uh, was on. Um, I I've drank three three cups of coffee. I've had four glasses of water, two bottles of Gatorade. Um, and so, <laughs> you need a bathroom break, it sounds like. <laughs> no, I've already had three because, like, um, I've just been drinking so many, many fluids. So, uh, but I do feel better now since I went outside. I do feel better after going outside. Where so, are you? I am in 21 Oaks. My, I am in my apartment. So, okay. right by the stadium. Um, it yep. was funny because right around 12 o'clock. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Sorry, I had to take a bathroom break. I understand. That's how it is at work now. You know, we're sitting in a chair for eight hours, and in mm -hmm. between meetings, you just have to turn the camera off and sneak out. Right. Well, you exactly. both look fresh. You both look great. <laughs> we're trying. We're trying. Right around 12. Wipe your eyes like this. We're <laughs> <laughs> good. We're good. Okay. So, Lyric and I, we tried two different methods. So, Lyric did the coffee method, and then oh. I did the natural remedy method. And um, we're trying to see which one is um, which one's better. What do you say, Lee? How do you how do you feel right now? I'm not gonna lie, I feel better <laughs> now because I went outside. Like the sun really did help, but I was dying. Um, and I feel so much better now. But like, 
I was, I was, but I, I think I was still waiting for the coffee to kick in. And I think like that third cup just kicked in. So I feel good um, right now. Do I do. The sun is like, the sun is helping a lot. My low point, I feel I was like, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to need some encouragement to make it was that 4am point. It was still mm-hmm. dark, but it was at that peak of like um, morning time. And yes, I was like, okay, I, I just need, Pray, lyric, keep me up. What are we doing? Yeah, y'all need to do this to each other. Back and forth. Um, there was one time there was an idea to do this like together, like actually physically together. Um, and maybe I don't know, I don't know if that would have worked out, Hannah. Um, because Hannah's in Greenville right now and I'm in Columbia, so I don't know if that would have worked out. I think we would probably ended up fighting. Um, yeah, I'd have been. We just been like it's over. It's over. Yeah, we end up fighting, but and I mean, like so much has happened. Like we've had so many different guests. So I don't know if you've been able to catch any of it, but um, right around twelve o'clock, the power went out in my apartment complex. Oh, um, there was just so many, so many things that have happened. We've had like a myriad of guests and things of that nature. So there's been a lot of cool things. Have you two ever met? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my god. How, how have your guests been, by the way? Amazing. Uh, started off with Darcy Strickland. Uh, yeah, Darcy Strickland, there's a name from the past. <laughs> I literally was so starstruck because so, Hannah's from Greenville, but I'm from Columbia. So I grew up watching Darcy and she like, she emailed me um, last night. She was just like, I know you probably like, you know, had this, but like, uh, you, do you still have space on the schedule? I was like, oh, yeah. I said, open this up. I said, please. Uh, she was in a pack of people, you know, that kind of ran together. She may have talked about it. I don't know. Um, she didn't really, we didn't get to talk much about her undergrad career because she talked about that when we saw her speak at the Richard T. Greener yeah. um, scholarship breakfast back in her homecoming. Yeah. And after her was Mayor Benjamin. Mayor Benjamin. Amazing. Buddy president. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you a funny story. I was, we were on this, you may, we were on the call the other day for the planning committee and we brought the mayor in to mm-hmm. talk about our emergency planning efforts. And they forgot to let him speak. And so when it came my turn, I was the third person to speak. When it came my turn to speak, I said, well, um, you know, before I speak, I said, I think we should let Stephen, you know, say something. And so Stephen came on and he said, well, I, I really appreciate that, he said. And he said, I really appreciate the fact that Dennis still calls me Stephen, he said, because he's <laughs> the person here that's known me since I was 17. Because <laughs> he goes by Steve now, you know. But right. when he was cool, it was Stephen. <laughs> so that was funny. That was just funny. He informed us about, um, of course, all that he's doing as mayor right now, his time as student body president. But then he had a party um, scheduled for later in the night. So when was he on around like five o'clock or yes, mm-hmm. around five o'clock, okay. 4.30, Mayor Benjamin came on and he was like, but I have a party tonight around um, what, nine, nine-ish. And it was about completing the census. So a lot of our guests ended up coming on here and then going to his party. So like, Don Staley, I know Asia Wilson was oh, at the party, Charlemagne the God, a whole bunch of like a lineup. So we were like, okay, guys, tune in here. Right. We we're like, tune in here and then go to that party because that party seems pretty nice. <laughs> and yeah. then after Mayor Benjamin was Luke, and then after Luke was Perry Orth, mm-hmm. and after Perry Orth was Don Staley. Yeah. Um, and after Don Staley was Dr. Was it? No, it wasn't Dr. Tate. It was Jataka. Jataka. Jataka Edie. Yeah. Um, and no then. Former uh, student body president. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we had 
Dr. Tate. And then after Dr. Tate, there was Lakia Brown. Sophie. No, Sophie. Yeah, Sophie Davish and Becca, Becca Ashton. And then after that was Lakia Brown, who works in university social media. Mm -hmm. And then after that was... Parker Hannon Asia. Parker Hannon Asia, who were a part of Hannah's campaign. Uh, we all worked together. And then that was around, that was when the power outage occurred. Uh -huh. And then after that was summer seniors. So some of the summer seniors counselors, as well as some of their students who are coming to University of South Carolina in the fall, which was cool. really cool to have some UFSC. Yeah, very cool. Um, after summer seniors was... Izzy. Izzy. Um, Izzy Rushton. After Izzy was, was it the ambassador? Hamilton. No, Hamilton. Hamilton Wasnick, who's a graduate assistant for student government, um, as well as yeah. um, Ryan, who is a graduate assistant for the Student Success Center. Mm -hmm. And then after that was Jerome Scott, who, you know, oversees yeah, student government, yeah. as well as Brianna McManus, who is, uh, I think, the res assistant residence hall director for Capstone. Mm -hmm. And then I, I'm trying to do this off of memory. And then after that, were ambassadors, right? Mike, all these people that, showed up as planned. They all were on time and there. I don't know, like how this happened, but yes, everybody has been on time and like really working. Like I'm so thankful because like we don't really have time to like kind of like click off and like go chase yeah. people down. Yeah. Um. So after that was Mike Parker and Zachary Dunbar. Um. So that's the treasurer, treasurer of AAAS in the president of the residence hall association, as well as my sister and then my brother, um, my, my 13 year old brother. Family show. Hannah, yeah. you have brothers and sisters? I have a brother and he's actually coming to USC um, this fall. Equal time, you need to get equal time. He needs to be on the podcast. He oh. He's gonna be in the last hour. Okay. Yeah. And right. then after them was ambassadors, right? Yes. Um, we're, so some of our university ambassadors and then after the university ambassadors was oh, no, it was Heather Brandt. Oh yes, Heather Brandt. And then after Heather Brandt, Dr. Edwards. And then after Dr. Edwards was JD and Caden. And mm -hmm. then after them was President Naslin. And now we are at you. Who took some of my time, by the way. <laughs> you oh. took that and I, I was laughing. I'm going to take that up with him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Quietly, I'll take it up with you. <laughs> so um, I have a few um, things that um, I wanted to say. But w the first thing I'm going to say is that one thing we were talking about with Jataka is like the very interesting um, to, uh, lineage, I think of like, I, and we've talked about like uh, about how some of the most like greatest leaders on our campus have been black women. And like, um, and you've, uh, you've said that um, to me numerous times when we were talking to Joe Taka about that lineage, but um, Hannah, I'm not sure if you know this, but um, last year, so Hannah and I met because um, we were matched last year through freshman council as mentor and mentee. And we ended up becoming um, the best of friends. But last year rem I, I went to New York and you connected me with Lindsay Richardson, um, yeah. who was, you know, wow. the second female, black African-American female student body president. Um, so he connected us via email. And then that was how we, I, the dinner with Lindsay was set up. So Hannah was the person who was with me. 
Oh, oh, so yeah, okay. so we took, that's all coming around. It's all coming around. We took that trip together. At that point, Hannah was still a freshman, and then we had dinner with Lindsay, and she ended up being, and Hannah ends up becoming student body vice president. So yeah. Yeah. that's really cool. So you had some, you 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 had a little bit of something to do. I'm, I'm going to write this down in my memory books as one more <laughs> check of a good thing that happened. Yes. Yeah, Lindsay was great. Lindsay's great. I follow her on on Twitter. She's She's been in New York, you know, she's, I don't know if you follow her, but she's been, mm-hmm. she's been struggling a little bit, taking good runs and stuff, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, she's a good one. She's a great one. And then after um, that, actually right before the podcast-a-thon, I was filming um, or recording the podcast episode specifically just for 1801 Live. And my first guest was Yvonne Miller. And so oh, yeah. we were talking about um, her experiences as well. So it's funny how, like, the circle comes around, um, full, comes around in full circle. So, but thank you, because I didn't know who to attribute that to. I didn't know Lyric was like, hey, we're going to go meet Lindsay Richardson, the second um, African-American woman to be student by president. I was like, yes, of course we are. Of course. But thank <laughs> you for making that connection. Thanks. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to keep that network alive. You got to keep it going. You got to keep passing on. I told I told Lyric that one of the things we need to do is is that for you know Black History Month and and Women's History Month was which you know they 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 bet it back up to each other. Mm-hmm. What we need to do is we need to have a feature on the African American women who have been at the University of South Carolina who have made substantial contributions while they were here while they're at the university, but then have gone on to do other remarkable things. Right. And there is a there's a long list of. I mean, if if you really and I, I have to be careful how I say this because somebody will be offended. The men will be offended. But one of our great markets is African-American women. You know, I mean, they have come to the university. They have done, they are, they are our highest graduating rate of any other students. If you look at the contributions they made, and I used this analogy one time and, and, and the men got real mad at me, but, but I'm, in a, I'm, in a friendly, I'm in a friendly cove here, right? I mean, this is a friendly Wait. audience. Oh, yes. I use, I use the example that, you know, if you go to a lot of African-American churches, there are very few, if any, women ministers. They're almost all male ministers. And a lot of the leadership of the church is male. But who really runs the church? The women. The women, the women run the church. And just like at the University of South Carolina, the women run so many things. And, and at one time, it was behind the scenes they ran things. Now, Hannah, others, Lyric, you know, y'all are in the forefront. So it's just remarkable that uh, y'all have made a, you know, y'all have paved your own way and you, you've certainly built on the shoulders of others like Lindsay and to take in others. But I'll tell you what, when you, when you see the intellect and, and, and for what you're doing here, when you see the souls that people have, I mean, what good souls you have to do this. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to make sure before we end, I got to, I'm going to make a, a donation at the end before we leave. So I want to make sure we get to that too. So. I'm tagging you on Twitter right now. <laughs> oh, you are? <laughs> So anyway, yeah, I, I tell you what, when you look back at the experience of the university and some of the things the students have had and, and the way they've grown and developed over the time when they leave and the way they look back at the university, every time I teach a day coming, she just about cries thinking about the good old days. Uh, not that these aren't the good days, by the way, her good old days, I should say, her good old days. So, yeah. So I, let me tell you what, I don't know what y'all want to do, but i I. When I saw y'all were going to talk about memories, I made like three pages of memories of things that I was thinking <laughs> about. And, you know, I've been here since 1978, so sometimes I forget the facts. 
But since I'm the only one around still, the facts don't matter as much. You, <laughs> you can embellish things, right? Right. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, most of the people I lit up. But how do y'all want? What do y'all want to do? What, how do y'all want to proceed? Because I, I, I'll go whatever you take. You are one of my favorite story. I think you are one of my favorite storytellers at the university. Um, so, but I do have one question before you start. Um, I so um, one of the one of the graduate stu- uh, students actually brought you up earlier, and like um, that we we spoke to Hamilton and was just talking about your leadership and um, and we and me and you in conversations. I remember I said. Um, I asked you one time, I said, even in the midst of the long career that you've had in student affairs, um, and you've seen basically everything. And I know like this pandemic was um, something that you haven't seen before. Um, Mm -hmm. So how do you still manage to, because I remember I said, how do you, I remember I I asked you, I was like, how do you still um, remain excited and like, did you know how things stay fresh and that this is definitely fresh but like so how do you remain innovative and like you know at the top of your game not only for yourself but I mean for the whole student affairs unit um particularly in times like these where um this is completely like anything you've you've ever seen before you know that's a great question thank you and you know the thing is is that I mean when you're around people like y'all I mean how can you not be excited that's one thing about working at a university why you never want to retire you can't have the experience you have with college students anywhere else. You're not around people that are beautiful, that are intellectual, that have good souls and good faiths. You're just not around people like that in the, with the number of people that we have. So that's the first thing. But here's, here's something y'all need to think about is that we have been through this before. We went this before with H1N1 on a smaller scale. We went through this with AIDS. When AIDS first appeared, it was almost the same. I mean, I was having deja vu because when AIDS first appeared, we were going through this phenomenal discussion every day. And back, remember back then there were no computers. There weren't even faxes, I don't think. I mean, we used to get a weekly update from CDC that would tell us what they had learned about AIDS. But we didn't know if students could be on campus. We didn't know if they could live together. Could they eat together? Could they be in class together? Socialize together? We didn't know if they could serve each other. We didn't know anything about AIDS. And it was the same kind of almost panic in a way about we got to figure this out. We got to figure out how to med- mitigate it. We have to figure out how to make the campus a place where everybody can feel comfortable. So we did kind of go through that with age, but um, <clears throat> one of the things that, you know, I've always, I think Lyric will tell you, and I'm, a, I'm an observer of human behavior. And, and, and I'm also a person who takes my own experiences and, and tries to see things from the perspective of others. So I'll just give you one, one framework. In 1978, when I came to the University of South Carolina, I had a wife and two children. I was on a sabbatical from East Tennessee State to come to get my doctoral degree. And we were moving into Cliff Apartments. Y'all remember Cliff? It used to be a... Yes. Yeah. I'm trying to be funny there, but you know, <laughs> it's still there, but it's been torn apart now. After right. We were moving into Cliff and we got there and we had this moving truck and we were, you know, we were exhausted. We had left East Tennessee and driven all day. And we get there and the person at the desk says, you cannot move in until you show me your marriage license. And I'm like, what? I said, no, you, you cannot move into married student housing until you prove to us that you are married. And I said, my proof is that woman and those two children over there, that's my <laughs> proof. But they made me climb into that truck and go into the very front of the truck where we had a box and get my marriage certificate and show it to them, my marriage license and show it to them. And I said to myself, if I'm ever in a position to think about the rules and making rules practical and functional, 
that I'm going to be that person. And so I think now that all these rules that people say, you can change this rule if you want to, or if you could, you would. So, you know, over the years, you know, I've always just looked at kind of things, what made sense, what made practical sense, and tried to be responsive to students. And, you know, we have a very diversified student body, and a lot of people have different needs and different wishes and different wants and different expectations, and people have different values that they want to express. And so you have to make a campus where all that can happen. And the thing that energizes me the most is that every generation of the students that come, and I don't mean this to any offense to any of the past generations, but we always say we're never going to have a better group of student leaders than that group we had last year. And then the next group comes along, and what are they? They're better. And then the next year, they're better. And the next year, they're better. And as they get better, you have to get better, because if you don't, they leave you behind. You know, y'all, I mean, my biggest fear about coming on today is y'all would intellectualize me, you know, and embarrass me because you'd ask me something I didn't know or couldn't respond to or couldn't answer. <laughs> and so you have to always, and, and like, and, and Lyric will tell you this, you know, I knew nothing about wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't either. It. Okay, well, you didn't either, yeah. but I think you know a lot about it now, don't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, as do I, by the way. More than, more than he'll I'll send me art. He'll send me articles. Yeah. <laughs> he'll send me articles like well, you know WWE's coming to town. <laughs> I, I never used to watch, but you you start to. But if you don't keep up with the generations, you know. And when I, I had four children that came to the University of South Carolina over really over three decades, and so I got to stay in touch with young people that way. But you know, to know what your interests are, and you know what's the new app everybody's looking at. And, you know, you say, you say Facebook and people go, oh, you know, what does he know? You know, he's, you know, but when I tell people, look at my TikTok, you know, then all of a sudden they're like, oh, that guy, he's okay. <laughs> you know, he's on TikTok. Don't look at my TikTok, by the way. You have TikTok? No, 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 no. Don't start that rumor. Okay. We just had <laughs> to make sure that. people had to know. But here's the thing, you know, life is really about learning, experimentation, new things, having a sense of curiosity. And when you watch the curiosity of the students who are trying to figure things out, just trying to figure, and some, and some of they're trying to figure out is their life, some of it is their lifestyle, some of it is their family, some of it is what they're going to do with work and their career, but as you watch them as they try to figure out and how they become value-laden, and how, as they figure it out, how much more mature and how much more confident they become in what they're going to do, I mean, it's just fun to watch. It's absolutely fun to watch, and if you don't think we learn from y'all, I mean, we like to think we teach y'all something, but if you don't think we learn from y'all, every day, every day we learn something. And we don't say, oh, thanks for teaching me that, just like you probably don't say to your professors, hey, thanks for teaching me that. But every day we learn something from y'all. And every day I feel like I'm a better person and I'm more worldly. And my kids like me more because I can talk to them in their language. So that's the answer, kind of. You know, it's just it, there's nothing better than being around a group of smart people who are all – really driven in their own ways, who really want to make a difference. They're always a part of something bigger than themselves and they want to make a difference. They want to leave their mark on their legacy. I mean, what better? And you see, you see it repeat itself year after year after year. And that's what's so worrisome to me really about the pandemic, about the, the virus, is that I know, we're, I know we're delaying people's opportunity to engage in those kind of things. And that's why what y'all are doing and like what Dr. Edwards did, what Anna did with the, the honors and awards ceremony online. And they called the families in advance and they got to celebrate. They had that moment. They had that very special moment. 
it's not the same as being there. It's not the same as having the entire campus on the horseshoe and that bright sunshine, but it is wonderful to be a part of that every single day. And I mean, it's, it's not like you have to get up and go to work. It's not like you have to, and, and, and this, uh, you may have heard that when I had my first staff meeting, my first big director's meeting, I broke up, I broke down. Cause I said, you know, this is, this is not the way I want to see the universe. This is not what we built up. This is not what we have come to. And it just, it, it upsets me that we've got this, but then you get the motivation is that we got to get back to where we were. We got because you all deserve the same experience that Joteka had and Lindsay had and hundreds of other thousands of other students have had. And if we can't give it to you face to face until we can, we got to give you the best experience we can otherwise. But it's very upsetting to me. You know, I spent 40 years trying to take the university and help the university and help students. And now you just see it kind of, you know, not being what we all work for it to be. I, I, I told my staff, it was kind of like if you built a family business and you're getting ready to turn it over to your kids and all of a sudden the business, the, the building you're in burned down or something. Mm-hmm. That, that's just how I felt. So anyway, I, I got to go. I got Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so your show, not mine. <laughs> going into the, the memories portion, I have a question. I asked Dr. Edwards the same question. Uh, not sure how you're going to answer it or if you're going to answer it. Um, I hope so, though. <laughs> but, um, who I, I think I know some of the answers to this question, though. But over your time here at USC, who I know you can't name everybody, but who have been some of your favorite student leaders to work oh, with? Wow. Um, some of your all-time faves. I, I, and if he doesn't say you, charge it. Don't, char- don't I, charge it to his head and not his heart. But um, I think you've connected, like you told me about, I mean, some of the people that you've been able to work with, but who are some of your all-time Can I tell I, I, I thought you might ask me that. And here's what I did. I said, when I tell these stories, even, I wasn't going to name the students because I'd leave somebody out. Because I, I, let me tell you this, I can go through my files and I can tell you a story about, Hannah, I don't know if I have any on you yet, but by the end of the year, you, you'll, you'll want to pay me off because I'll have stories on you. And I have stories on Lyric, but I, I mean, I could go through. Let me just do one. Let me just tell you one. Okay. okay. And I'm only going to tell you one because it's an example of what I experience over and over and over again. Because you're, you're, you're real close to some students and closer to others. And some went through personal situations when they were here. We had a student body president who had cancer while she was here. And and while she was student body president, you know, that was a whole separate situation. And uh, we had a student who had um, a parent who uh, nearly died of a heart attack and then didn't. And, you know, you, you, so you, you see elements of student leadership. And one of the things I came to realize was, and, and Lyrics heard me say this before, is that so many of these student leaders hid what was going on in their lives, their personal lives, their family lives. And I just came to realize is that every day you're talking to people and you have no idea what's going on in their life. You know, they are dealing with something about what you know nothing about. And so I always kind of took the attitude is that when student leaders weren't fulfilling their obligation or they were troubled or they were missing class or whatever, I always wanted to ask them, well, what's going on in your life that's taking your time away from your, you know, that's taking your time and attention away from your leadership or your school or whatever. Well, you remember, uh, Three or four years ago, in the twenty, when when we had a, a, a demonstration by some of our students who wanted uh, the Vision Twenty Twenty, you remember that? Mm-hmm. Hannah, you wouldn't remember that because that was way before your time. Lyric, were you? I read, read about it. I read about it in the Gamecock yeah. archive. It so, was a year before I got here. I saw it on TV. Um, okay. 
So, well, the story was the students came over and we actually helped to orchestrate the demonstration. They had a list of demands for the university. And one of the demands was that they wanted to uh, investigate the vice president of student affairs. And the president asked him, well, for what? And they said, well, just, he needs to be investigated. And so what was interesting to me was, you know, I've been spending all these years asking students, what's going on in your life? How can we help you? This, that. And I had four or five different people reach out to me, former student body presidents and say, we've been talking and, you know, we'll rally, we are going to come in your defense. And Manish Shravistava was one who was kind of leading the group. Do y'all know the name Manish Shravistava? He's a, he was a student body president. Okay, it was a decade ago, two decades ago. It was, it was around Stevens' time, maybe late 80s, maybe somewhere in there, early 90s. What year were you born, Hannah? 2000. Okay, 2000. Lyric, what year were you born? 1998. Okay, it was before your time, I think, probably. <laughs> But Benice called and said that a couple of them have been talking. They said, look, you know, you, you were always asking us. We're asking you, what can we do for you? What, we, want to, we want to come out. We want to say, you know, this guy doesn't have a racist bone in his body. And that was just really touching to me that all these student leaders came forth. And, you know, it's kind of like you don't know sometimes the impact you have on people until you need something and then they come to you. And that was just really touching to me. And, and I could go down the list of, I mean, there are, and you know what's interesting now is that so many of these student leaders, this will really date me, so I shouldn't even say this, their children are coming to college. Mm -hmm. So, you know, students that we had here in the 80s and the 90s now have children who are of college age who are coming to college. And it's just, it's just remarkable to see them and have their parents come proudly. And, you know, the, the most, one of the most gratifying things is the number of parents who would entrust their children to come to the University of South Carolina because they came here and had that experience. And, you know, I entrusted all four of my children to the University of South Carolina. My wife went to Carolina. I got my doctorate degree at Carolina. Um, so we, you know, but please don't make me go down that memory lane. And also probably, I'll probably start crying thinking about them. Uh, you know, we had, uh, and, 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 and I don't want to talk about, you know, we had a student who had lupus while she was in school, a student body president. And that created issues. So there were just all these students who had all kinds of things going on at the same time. And you watch them perform at the highest level in the classroom, in their leadership, doing philanthropic work, being community citizens, all the while tending to their family at the same time. It's just remarkable. I mean, it's just, just remarkable what I saw and heard and seen over the years from the, from the great student leaders. And, and let me just say one other thing. Some of the student leaders, the student leaders that I couldn't name, but I'll give you an example. I was inducted into some, and please forgive me, I'll be embarrassed, but it was a, a business honorary of some type for accountants. And um, they asked me to come to the meeting and, and receive this honorary induction. So I went and I looked around the room and there wasn't a student there I knew. There, I could not identify one student. There were leader, the leadership was on the stage. I didn't know one of them. I didn't know anybody in the organization. It was a completely unique, different group that I had daily contact with. And they were, in, they were inducting me into this honorary society. Um, if they knew my math skills in accounting, you know, that would have been, a, they, would have, they would have said, whoa, you know, we got to think about this. <laughs> but I watched them conduct their meeting and, and the skill with which they did. And they were, getting, they were designing a new member system. And then I was at the end of the meeting and I'm thinking to myself, there's a bunch of student leadership going on on this campus that we're not touching, we're not influencing. 
but it's happening. Some of it's self-organizing. Some of it, they got faculty helping. Some of it, their student peers helping each other. I just said to myself, you know, we don't appreciate this as much as we should. All the student leaders that are out there doing things that aren't getting notoriety, aren't getting attention. So I, I just have to say to all the student leaders of the 40 years, thank you for the contributions you've made to the universities after both and to my own values. I mean, it's just been, it's been awe-inspiring for me. So um, you said- I dodged that one. You did, you narrowed, you narrowed. That, that was, yeah. I, I, I had a couple ideas of like some people that she would say, but like, you know, you dodged that one well. Okay. I could go through a long list of people that, I mean, really and truly, it's endless. It is endless. Really. really. That's one thing that we've been coming back to, I think, throughout the podcast is like this lineage. I mean, at USC, we were, we've said it with so many people. It's so crazy about how even like Hannah um, it was born in 2000. Joe Tafa was president in 2000. I uh, um, <laughs> I don't think you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> so like that, I mean, that puts that puts a lot in perspective. Like, it does. like you you started and I mean. I, my mom's gonna hate me for this, but like you started at USC in 1978. My mom was born in 1978. Oh my um, gosh! <laughs> well, so, see, that's what I mean. They, I mean, we're yeah. seeing the second generation. It won't be long before we see the third generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just seeing how everything just works together, and how so many of us, even like the crazy thing is like, so many people are. Those people are still that you've been able to see coming through all the halls. Like they have conversations with us as young as we may be. And like, we still get to talk to them to this day. We still get to talk to, I mean, like we're talking to you. I mean, who has had such a long career at the university and just how everybody is just so connected. And I think like um, at a large institution like this, I think a lot of times people have this misconception that everybody is just a number. Um, and you know, like, it's just like, we're, we're just, nobody really knows each other. We're not really that connected, but truly, um, I I have, I'm a firm believer that this university can be as large or as small as you want it to be. Sometimes it's so small. Like, I feel like I can't go anywhere without seeing somebody else. Um, well, you make a good point, Larry. I I spoke to a group in New York to one of our alumni clubs, uh, about a year ago, maybe not. Yeah, it was about a year ago, maybe anyway. And I go and I don't know who's going to be there. I'm just, and I'm there to, you know, you know, kind of talk about what's going on at the university and sell all the great things that are happening. And there's a guy there named Myron Terry. You know that name? You've told me this name before, I think. And Myron Terry. And Myron Terry was there. He came up, gave me, gave me the old man hug, you know, and everything. And I, I see Myron all the time. Myron Terry is a conscious for the University of South Carolina. He's in New York. He comes back for homecoming almost every year. But every time something happens at the University of South Carolina, Myron will text me, call me, email me, and said, can you fill me in on this? I just want to make sure my university's not going astray. I want to make sure if there's anything I need to do. And it's like having a quality control agent, you know, an angel kind of watching over you from the side. Um, you know, somebody trying to, you know, you're conscious kind of in a way. But there are Myron Terry, everywhere you go, you know, Myron, you see the Myron Terry's of the world. Um, you also, by the way, you run into people and say, you don't remember me, do you? And I say, well, yeah, I kind of remember you not really well. And they say, well, I'm glad you don't because I was in your office the day that you took our fraternity off campus. And, you know, I, I wasn't the main person, but I, I just, I'm glad you don't remember me or remember that. <laughs> and I'm like, so well, how, what do you say to that? What do you say to that? You know, so there's, there are a lot of people out there with guilty consciences who have had contact as well. 
I know you touched on um, a little bit earlier about like the fallen group of student leaders preceding the ones previous. Um, is there ever, and I know like I can just hear in the passion of how you tell your stories about different student leaders on campus, that connection that you build with them. Is it ever um, kind of too, is, do you ever feel as if like you're too stuck like, oh my gosh, for example, Lyric, like Lyric's a senior, she's about to graduate. It's like, oh my gosh, like I can't see um, someone ever filling her spot or if it's like, I don't want her to go or things of that nature. Have you ever had those type of moments with students? Yeah, yeah, you do, you do every year. And every year, you know, and this is what's so sad about commencement. I remember one time at commencement, and this was back when we were in the Coliseum, and some students went down at commencement to have their picture made next to the seal on the on the podium. Y'all probably seen the podium, that the big podium, big beautiful seal of the university. And the security guard didn't want to go down there, didn't because did, we we the instructors were nobody on the floor, you know, because that's where the graduates were. And they finally let him go. And I'm watching this family, and I'm thinking, you know, we forget how important commencement is to a student to, and I was a first generation college student. So I remember my commencement today, like it was, well, it wasn't yesterday, it was 50 years ago, but I remember it like yesterday, really. And, um, and you think about the experiences that the students are having, but, but we, we have to let go. You know, we have to let go because we've got another group coming in and the next group deserves the same level of attention. And when the students leave, sometimes I think they feel abandoned almost. It's like, wow, you know, once we're gone, you know, but then when you but then when you when you reconnect with them through email or um, uh, Twan Dugan was a, a young woman who was here with Stephen Benjamin was here and she's in Atlanta she's at Emory now and she sent me a note one day out of the clear blue and you know it just it, it reminds you that that you did something and you want to do something for them but what you don't want to do is you, you don't want to neglect the next generation it's almost like the birth order of your children you know I have four children. And they always say in the birth order of children, if you're three in a family, that the first child you make your mistakes with, the second child is perfect, and the third child you spoil. It's kind of <laughs> the philosophy people have. And so, because I'm a middle child, that's why I say that. But you know, when you have four children, that last two, you just turn them loose to be independent. Well, for us, we don't want to turn our students loose, just let them go. You know, we, we have to turn to the next generation. We have to turn to the next group and establish relationships and try to help them and support them and create that learning laboratory for them again. And so for me, it's, it's commencement's always been, um, it's just, it's, it's, it's as much sad as it is. Sometimes it's happy. I'm happy for the families and happy for the graduates. But when you see those students walk across the stage and, and, you, and you almost see them too, kind of like goodbye, you know, cause I'm, cause you know, you lyrics got senioritis a little bit. Thank goodness she doesn't have enough that she's, you know, neglecting her, 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 her responsibilities and her interest in the university. But seriously, you, you want to get that internship over with, you want to move on, you want to be gone, right? Mm-hmm. And so you, you don't want to hold the student back either. You don't want to say, you know, hang around. And, but we, you know, we go to student leaders, we ask them to come back and speak to generations, the next generation or three generations. And we've had all kinds of student leaders come back to share their stories. Mary Louise Ramsdale, you know, has been back two or three times to tell her story. Um, so it's just, it's, it's, that's a great question. It is so sad to see the students walk out the door, but the, the, the good news is, is that, you know, that every student that walks out the door, there's another one coming and that's, what's reassuring. Um, actually, I don't think, well, I think we skipped steps. Um, and I know like 
we're like 42 minutes in, but I don't think, um, I think we alluded to it, but I don't think we like you ever tr- really introduced yourself. <laughs> oh. um, um, so lot, like, obviously we know who you are, but I think a lot of time, a lot of people who may be listening or if they hear this back, they like, they don't know who you are. So could you um, just introduce yourself um, really quickly? I, I know it's late, but. Yeah, well, well, I'm Dennis Pruitt. I'm the vice president of student affairs and academic support at the university of South Carolina. Um, I started, I came to the university in 1978 to get my doctoral degree, started work in 1980, late 1982, became the vice president for student affairs and have been in that role since that date. And um, I'm proud to have been a, a, a father of four children that went to the university of South Carolina, all graduated actually, I should say. Uh, one lives in Greenville, one lives in Athens, one lives in Atlanta and one lives in Hawaii. So they're all loyal Gamecocks, and you know they were they're they're born and bred Garnet and Black, and thank goodness they, they they're still that way. So I mean I've I've had a wonderful career at the university. Uh, people always say, well, how many presidents have you served under, and provosts, and a- athletic directors, and I don't keep count of that. I really don't. I, I I don't try to look back as much as I try to look to the future. You know what's next? What's the next big thing? Um, I, I always try to celebrate the moment rather than you know looking at like even like a birthday, let's celebrate what's happening today. Let's celebrate this as opposed to celebrating what something that happened that may happen or, or happened 20 years ago. So Dennis Pruitt, Vice President of Student Affairs. Hannah, did you have something to say before? Um, I mean, one, that was a great introduction. Like <laughs> the beginning, the end, uh, full story, concise, but still we got a full glimpse of who you were and then end it with, Dennis Pruitt. I mean, I couldn't have asked trying to get better. Um, but I know, that, <laughs> I know that um, you and Lyric have had a lot of memories. I know you said that you have a lot of stories written up um, about her. So I can't wait till today I'm in your office and we can just chat about a lot of student leaders within her. And I'm like, can you tell me a little bit about the stories that you had on Lyric? That's going to be interesting oh, yeah. to hear. He oh, always yeah. told me, even before being telling me student body vice president, you have to meet um, Dr. Pruitt. He's the best storyteller. If you want to know anything about the university, anything. ask him. Well, one thing Lyric will tell you is, is that when you get to know me, it's, it's Dennis. What most people call me Dennis. And I'll tell you a story behind that. You know, I was the vice president of student affairs for about 10, 15 years. I didn't have my doctor's degree. And then I, I finished it in 1995, which seems like a long time ago now. But I remember that when there's this stigma about not having a, a, a PhD in the, in the academy. And I remember after I, when I was getting my, my degree, two things happened. One, Dr. Palms, after I defended my dissertation, Dr. Palms called me and he said, well, I, I said, Dr. Palms, I'm so excited to join the, the academy and to be a part of the Guild of Scholars. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's easy to become a member of the Guild of Scholars. He said, now you need to become an intellectual. He said, now you need to start contributing back to the discipline, to the field of knowledge. He said, you know, just being in the guild doesn't do that. And and the other thing he said is, uh, he said, now he said, you know, you're going to have to go through this introduction of having people call you Dr. Pruitt. And he said, and here's the thing, he said, you know, if people respect you, if they believe in you, if they have faith and trust in you, um, you know, they don't need to have this artificial doctor in front of your name. So I said, I wouldn't go out there and make people call you doctor. He said, I'd go out there and have people say, you know, if they're comfortable doing it, doing it, if not. And, you know, for students, we're all raised, 
I was raised in a, my dad was a Southern Baptist and a Navy captain. So oh. you know, I, I have said, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, all my life, <laughs> I, you know. And so for me, that formal greeting is, is really almost a part of my, it's a part of my whole lifestyle. Right. My lyric will tell you that once you feel comfortable, that the people who feel comfortable just call me Dennis. Now in a formal setting, they would say, you know, if you're, if we're at a board meeting, they might say Dr. Pruitt. And, mm-hmm. and I say, I do the same thing with Ann. I say Dr. Edwards, you know, because you want to be respectful to right. the, to the statue that she has. But um, I'd much rather have someone respect me and trust me and have faith in me than to have some superficial, oh, that's, he's a doctor, you know, then yeah. that didn't do much for me. So a conversation like this, and when I um, come to your office just to talk, then you'll be dead. Do you know anything about wrestling? Well, look, a little <laughs> bit. You, you, you might have to test me. Now, Lyra, no, no, no. You, you have to introduce me to something that Hannah likes. You have to introduce me to something that Hannah's all about. Hannah, Hannah doesn't like much. Like, she, and that's, I Wait mean, a minute, she likes you. Honestly, she likes you. Barely sometimes. Um, but no, like, oh. Hannah doesn't uh, like much um, sometimes. Like, her tastes are so weird. Um, they are. And they Hannah, are. I look forward to getting, I get to know your weird taste. Yes, yes. I'll tell you all about myself. I have precise taste. I feel like I have pristine taste. Um, I have, I, I share a story um, about. Dennis, I, so you have, I, I don't think a lot of people know this. Well, it's a very short, small amount of people that know this. But you have a tradition, I think, for what, 20 years, all of the candidates who run for student body vice, pre, student body president, you mm-hmm. will invite them to meet with you um, mm-hmm. and just, you know, ask anything that they want. Um, and you said typically people always accept the invitation and things like that. So um, last year, when I ran, I, I think I had met you briefly before, I think at TEDx, but like that was the first time like we had like a real conversation. And like, uh, <laughs> I remember like you were like, so do you have any questions? You like people typically don't really ask questions during, um, during I mean, during this, they don't know what to ask. And I think I had like a list of questions. I was like, so yeah, do you have these like, these numbers and statistics of the university of this, uh, of, of this? And um, you, I remember you told me like, no matter, what happened was the outcome of the election um, to follow up in like two weeks regardless because like you you still wanted me to remain a leader at this university mm-hmm. university no matter what um, which I always really appreciated um, and I, I it was a big part of the reason why you know like I, I did stick around and decide to continue to be a leader at the university um, and just do my due diligence and Loving this place, so. You know, the first time I ran for student body president, I lost. And then I ran a second time against all odds, and I should have lost. And how I won today, I think somebody stuffed the ballot box. (laughs) I still, to this day, had no reason why I should have run, because I ran against this guy who was very popular. He was president of ISC. Um, He had a lot of money to campaign with, you know. I was, you know, I was working at 7-Eleven, going to school, playing basketball and baseball, I'd get off practice and go work at 7-Eleven for 7-Eleven night. But for some reason, I won. So I realized is that after, my, after I lost the first time, that there's all kind of talent. And just because you don't win an election doesn't mean you don't have talent mm-hmm. or the ability to make contributions. And look at the contributions you've made over the year. Look, what have had, look, how, look at the vacuum at the University of South Carolina had you not continued. Yeah. You're the yeah. perfect example. 
it's been a wild ride. Um, I think it's that's that was a little over a year ago, and I, I mean, so many different yeah. things have happened um, since. And really? I mean, Do you think anything happened again? Like what? Like huh. what? <laughs> yeah. Come on. I was you just talking about a year. You took about a year in the life of the university. From that's Atlanta. what I told um, President Castle, I said it was basically a year and a day ago that you know presidential candidates were on campus, and it yeah. was completely. It was another type of crisis at the university and a completely different type of um, climate um, just this time a year ago. And look at, at how much. And I was I was telling him about seeing how everything came full circle. I mean, like he's president. You have Dr. Tate is incoming provost and things yeah. that in this time last year, it was like so much in the air. I mean, and just seeing how so many people have come together, work together, having conversations that la this time last year you would have thought would never have occurred. And like, yeah. we're all on a podcast-a-thon. Um, everybody mm -hmm. is like together. And I mean, like, I think that that's just the true spirit of this university. Um, mm -hmm. uh, being able to build a bridge, um, no matter where we are, no matter what's going on, um, I just think about what a difference a year can make um, and just seeing so many people come together and work together and truly make the best out of what's been um, a very difficult experience for all. But I'm just really proud to be a part of this institution and um, serve um, alongside some really brilliant leaders on both the student and administrative level. Um, and I mean, this wouldn't even be uh, possible without like the support of you know, like people like you and like all the other administrators and faculty and staff, because at the end of the day, me and Hannah just talk um, like, but I mean, like, you know, we don't have all the money or the influence or the power. Like we're just trying <laughs> to do the best we can. So, but it's always good to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. That's really a destiny in life is to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself and to have a cause and to contribute to that cause, <coughs> excuse me, and to know you made a difference. And both of y'all can say you made a difference on this. That's for certain. And right now we are, I'm going to give an update at 9.52 a.m. We are at $1,588.01 um, with 38 donors at, we're going into our 18th hour. We're almost at our 18th. 18th. Where's home stretch? Home stretch. You're on the home stretch. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. I'm almost delirious. But <laughs> this next hour is definitely going to be entertaining um, because after you, Dr. Pruitt, we have Corey Alpert, uh -oh. Lorian Harper, and Taylor Wright coming on together. <laughs> okay, I I'll be listening to that. <laughs> uh, I, I think um, when I pitched it to Taylor, I said Taylor. Um, are you okay with coming on with um, Corey and Lauren? He said, this is going to be a hot mess. Sign me up. Um, <laughs> Lyric and Annie, you don't have enough time in an hour for those three. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, you know, you know, they're going to be fighting for that mic. They're going to be fighting for that airtime. Oh, and this is what I need. This is the perfect time. It's like when we're down, we're 18th hour. We still have what? Uh, relatively six hours to go. We need a perk, so I'm ready for them to. Well, here's a perk for you. How much did you say you've raised? We have um, one thousand five hundred eighty-eight dollars and one cent because somebody okay. donated eighteen oh one. Okay, I'm gonna match that one thousand five hundred and one cent. Except I'm gonna make it one thousand five hundred and one. All right. 
So I will send a contribution in to the University of South Carolina for one back. Wait a minute, what was it? One thousand five hundred and one dollars to make sure I get that one cent. Yeah. All right. We wow. will send that in, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do it in in honor of Hannah and Lyric. I'm up. I'm up. We got we got six more hours. We can do this. <laughs> we're good. We're good. I'm energized. Oh, this is totally um, from the Pruitt family. We've we've already made one size. You may not know. I made a contribution to the relief fund and charged the division of student affairs to match it. It was mm-hmm. it was a little more, but um, because because I believe so much in you two, and you two have put so much effort into this. We will match that $1,501. I'm so thankful. Thank you. Thank you so, so, so much. And I know you had a connection with Lyric, but um, just, I've only been in like meetings and spaces and heard of um, about you, but thank you. Thank you so, so, so. Thank you. You don't have to thank me. Thank you all for, and not just for this. I mean, I mean, this is substantial, bringing attention to a need for our students, particularly our students who need it the most. Um, we're getting ready to distribute that federal money next week. And, and you know, it's gonna, it, it'll, be, it'll be well well distributed, I know. But we need more efforts like this to raise the attention of the alumni and others to contribute because we have students that are in need. They're gonna be in need for a while. So you, you deserve the praise, you deserve the thank. And when I send my contribution in, I'm gonna send it into the University of South Carolina and I'm gonna, there's a little note section that says, <laughs> Hannah White and Lyric Swinton for their remarkable podcast and their devotion to the University of South Carolina. Thank you. Um, and I, I mean, like I've talked to you about this numerous times, um, Dennis, I mean, and Hannah obviously knows this about me, but I don't come, I come from very humble beginnings and I, I'm not, I am not um, affluent at all. Um, I don't have um, the most money in the world, but this university truly gave me everything that I have from our Gamecock Guarantee Program, um, Opportunity Scholars Program, every single opportunity. Help, um, the people, it was the unit, this university's people helped me study abroad as a senior, um, as a second semester senior, um, going being able to go experience things like Forbes under 30 like opportunities like TEDx opportunities that typically don't exist for people from my background um and where I come from and so I'm just so devoted and dedicated to this project because like I know what that feels like to be in like such like severe financial need and um I really hope I like I think we didn't really kind of like announce a goal or anything because I was about to just say I was going to just say, let's raise 2019. I was going to say, like, that's, like, the goal, like, you know, 2019. But, like, I think we're going to well exceed that. Um, and I'm so excited. So I'm just really thankful to be a part of this um, just because, like, I know what that feels like to, um, to be a student in need. And I'm really thankful that we can band together for our fellow Gamecocks in this season. Thank you all. You're the reason that we get to come to work every day. And you're the reason I like to come to work every day. <laughs> and Anna, you'll be the same. You'll yeah. be the reason I get up every morning and think to myself, I am so lucky to be able to go and spend time with the lyrics and the Hannahs of the world. I really am. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to lie. When you said that matching thing, I don't think I could say, I can't talk. Much. I'm going to say, I'm kind of speechless. I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's kind of, it's a little. <laughs> Wow. It's a small gesture. 
compared to what the gestures that you have made, Lyric, over your period of time and over this last 24 hours, <laughs> especially. And Hannah, you'll do the same. when you. By the time you leave here, there's no telling. We'll be saying Lyric who? Listen, <laughs> Hannah is true. We'll be saying yeah. Hannah White. We won't be saying Lyric. We'll say Lyric who? Hannah's truly like heads and bounds ahead of where I was. I mean, like at this you gave point, her a good start. You gave her a very good start. When I was a sophomore, um, I think I, I just barely got my feet wet in student government. I was on a losing student government campaign. I mean, and a winning one too. But I mean, like I, I mean, like Hannah's leaps and bounds way beyond where I was at this age. And I mean, like thinking about where she'll be by the time she's my age, like she's going to absolutely blow us all away. Um, and yep. so I'm really excited for her future. Um, and it, just excited to say that not only she she's not just my mentee, but um, not my best friend. And I'm just so excited to, to just see her legacy. Like, um, but I mean, yeah, this is going to be amazing. Passing uh, it on. There's nothing better. Big shoes to fill. Well, thank you so much, Dennis. I I, I tagged you on Twitter. Um, you are you are our. Let's see. We there's a thread. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter, but. I'll look for it. There's a thread on Twitter that uh, on my page, you are guest number 44. 44? 44. Wow. Yeah, 44 so, is my lucky number now. Yes. I'm using 44 as my lucky number. Well, listen, tell tell Taylor and the group and Corey and all of them when you talk to them. Tell them I said hi. Tell I, them, I, hope, I hope at the end of the hour they're still friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we'll try to keep any major fights from breaking out. So... <laughs> Thank you all so much for what you've done. I mean, it's just just awesome. Just so awesome. So pleased to be a part of it. And I'll tell Dr. I'll tell President Caslin that um, I finished my my time on time. Yes, I will. And um, and we're going to tell him to be a lot more, um, what is it? What's the word for it? Timely. Succinct. 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 Yes. Succinct. Y'all have a great day. Thanks again for everything you're doing. Thank you so much. This podcast is a part of the Garnet Media Group Podcast Network. Garnet Media Group is a partnership between student-run media outlets at the University of South Carolina. Find out more about Garnet Media Group's podcast and other student work on garnetmedia.org.